From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Eric, you said we have two things to talk about in the intro this week. What are they? We're the number 10 football team in the country, baby. We are ranked number 10 in the coaches poll, in the AP poll. 1-0, number 10, highest ranking of an Indiana football team since 1969, right? Was it 69 or 67? I saw somebody say 69, so I'm going to go with that. It's a better number anyway. We were... <laughs> <laughs> I've got a cabillion texts. I've seen the articles on pigs. I've seen the national articles. It's still hard to believe. It's still, it's just something we have not experienced in our lifetime. And how do you process it? How do you accept in your body that we are one of the 10 best college football teams in the country? But what you do is you watch that Michigan game again, because by gosh, did we look like one of the top 10 college football teams in the country? Look, I don't know is the honest truth. We looked because I don't watch enough college football and the other teams to know what does a Clemson look like? What? I don't know. I can't compare like I could in basketball, but I know this. I've been watching Indiana football for about 40 years. And with the exception of a couple Bill Mallory teams, there is, I've never seen play like this from Indiana. I have never seen a defense that flies around the ball with cornerbacks that can freaking cover somebody, with linebackers that can cause pressure and wreak havoc, with a total defense that actually tackles properly. You know, like there are very few broken tackles against us. We've had mm -hmm. a couple missed assignments, a couple guys get loose. We still are prone to the big play here and there, but we are aggressive. We are flying around the ball, flying all over the field, and we have skilled players at every position who are excellent. It's not just Antoine Randall. It's not just um, who do we have? Levron Williams, who is a stud. Tevin Coleman, who was no. It is the quarterback, two running backs, couple wide receivers, tight end. Skill positions are all excellent. Penix. We all know he had a year of rust to shake off for the first three and a half quarters against Penn State. But since then, he's looked like a guy who should be on the Heisman watch list. He's crazy. I'm hoping he sticks around right about the time Philip Rivers is leaving Indianapolis so we can get him up, uh, uh, you know, an hour and a half up 37. That guy looks dynamite. He looks unbelievable. And, and it's hard to put in context what it means because – a lifelong IU football fan, the goal that we had for ourselves, the goal, honestly, if we're being honest, most fans was like, we just want to be like relevant, make a bowl game every once in a while, like make a bowl game somewhat consistently. We did not expect to be a nationally relevant top 10 team. We never in our wildest dreams thought that that was a realistic goal for the Indiana football program. One guy did. Tom Allen, you know, and there's been a few others. Terry Hepner did. Bill Mallory did. I'm sure that was their goal. 
Tom Allen had the dream when it seemed like that, that was a silly dream. He didn't listen to people like us who derided it. And I don't know if derided is a word. And he just kept pushing forward. And it what? is, it just makes it so much better and more meaningful that it happens with a guy like that, with a team like this. It's not his second year in a fluke. He has been building this thing. He has been moving the Titanic a little bit each year, and now it's breaking through. Well, to your point of we've been conditioned not to believe that this is possible because when you look at football programs, sometimes they got upwards of 100 guys over there. And as somebody from Texas on the Peaks board posted the number of four and five stars at the other Big Ten schools. Let me bring this up real quick because it truly is a phenomenal thing. We've got Ohio State University, 66, four or five stars. Penn State University, who we beat this year, 50, four or five stars. Then you've got Michigan, who we beat this year, 41, four or five stars. Nebraska's got 22. Wisconsin's got 13. Indiana has five. What does Michigan State have? I'm just curious. Uh, but, 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 Are they but, on the list? They have nine. They have nine. They're more in our neck of the woods. Yeah, but they but they all have more than us. Yeah, but but you're looking like there's a major drop off really between sure. OSU, Penn State, and Michigan. Nebraska twenty twos in a whole different league. It it makes you respect the the culture and the coaching in Wisconsin to only have thirteen yeah, and consistently be that like. good but nothing like what's going on in Indiana right now. When you're talking about what, what our, our dreams were for Indiana football, I'd be like, yeah, I'd sure like to be a, an often ranked team, meaning like 16th or 23rd with a good bowl and a solid couple of conference victories every year against other good, solid mid-tier teams. But we just slayed two of the three Goliaths. And there's no reason to think it can't sustain because if he's able to do this with this level of talent, even if we just eke up into the Wisconsin or Nebraska bracket with the level of talent we have, I mean, forget it, forget it. We could play with any team in the country. I agree. I thought like our cap was going to be like Northwestern, you know, and by the way, Northwestern went to a Rose bowl. So that is different, you know, under Barnett, but what Fitzgerald has done at Northwestern has been impressive. And I thought, well, that's going to be, that could, why can't we do that? But what Tom Allen is doing is just unprecedented. I mean, there is no football program that has lost more games than Indiana university. None. We lead college football in number of losses. He has reversed an entire legacy. I mean, he has moved the Titanic and he has done it methodically and with an unwavering enthusiasm that is infectious. And I want to say one more thing about that list that you just read off. That is why coaching is all that matters in college sports. Amen. It is all that matters because the intangibles are important. We have nowhere near the talent level of these schools we're beating. Now, look, maybe some of our guys were just not recruited. I do, I do give Tom Allen credit for this. He's yeah. clearly found guys that should have been in a higher recruiting you know, uh, analysis, but they weren't, and he has found them. God bless him. But Michigan, Penn State have more talent than we do, more raw talent. It doesn't matter. Coaching 
matters. Getting guys to believe that they are fighting for something bigger than themselves matters. And if it matters in college football, it can matter in college basketball too. Rankings are one thing, but belief and LEO holding people accountable, loving each other in the true sense of the word, he has proven that we can do things at Indiana football that we never thought possible, which is why our metrics for judging success on all of our sports, we should never lower them. We should never lower them. He's doing it without talent and without the resources that those other schools are. Indiana basketball has all the advantages that Tom Allen doesn't have. So I don't want to make it about basketball. (laughs) I knew it would get there eventually. I don't want to make it about basketball. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying the bar should be the highest of highs, period. And he is making the bar the highest of highs at football, and he's achieving it. You look at what Dabo has done at Clemson, right? And Clemson was good in like 1981, all right? But then you get the right guy. And now suddenly you've got Clemson in the conversation with Alabama, Ohio State, and year in and year out, those are the three that are always in the mix for the playoffs, right? And those three are operating at another level. You have a Georgia pop in or an LSU pop in, but generally those three coaches are the ones that I think Saban could be anywhere and have similar success. And and so look, there's a real good chance we have a guy who could be that guy. And I think we're all in agreement that sometime between now and the Michigan State game, we should sign him to a 10-year extension at $10 million a year. Just go full John Gruden like the Raiders did. Just give him all the money and say it's yours forever. I mean, he just needs to slide a piece of paper across a desk with a number on it. And Indiana just needs to say, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's about Mm -hmm. right. Uh, I'm just so happy for him. And again, the week is now built around how many days till Saturday. Like I immediately on Sunday was like, oh my God, only six days till Michigan State. And it's the biggest game of the year. It is the biggest game of the year. It is meaningful for so many reasons. So excited. Let's talk about item number two. It's also historic and unprecedented. It is. A week ago, we launched officially our campaign to get me on the board of trustees at Indiana University. But you being all of us, you being on the board of trustees means we're all on the board of trustees with you. That is 100% right. And the only way I'm going to get on the board is if all of us get me on the board. And the first step is to get me on the ballot. To get on the ballot, you need 200 verifiable signatures. They allow, Indiana University allows you to collect signatures from November 1st through April 1st. Because it takes a long time. It's really hard to get 200 signatures. You got to get social security numbers. People don't want to give us social security numbers, especially not on a website that has, let's just call it suspect security measures. Especially not if you're my wife. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Andy did not want to fill it out. Um, We got over 200 signatures in less than 24 hours. It's a revolution. Ward put it out there. You put it out there. You said, let's get it in day one. And you did. We did. So in 
in full sincerity, thank you to everyone who went to the website, epfortrustee.com. You can still go, still sign up. And Eric, where did you get the, the idea to name the website that? From from the Pigs community and the Twitter followers. From the people. From the people. We are a campaign for the people, by the people, and there of should the be people? a third one. Of the people. Yes, that's the third one. But I do want to say this, <clears throat> and then we'll move on to the interview today. We're going to have a whole hell of a lot of fun running for trustee. We're going to have videos that we're going to release. We're going to have testimonials, and we're going to treat it all with a sense of humor, because that's what we do. And much, much of the time, that sense of humor goes totally uh, unreciprocated. That's not the word. Off the rails? It goes off the rails and people don't like it. And we get that. That said, we are 100% serious. I want to be trustee of Indiana University, not as a joke. It may have started that way, but I want it because I do believe that the board of trustees has not represented the will of so many Indiana University alumni that we have had an opportunity to talk to and get to know and get to hear their thoughts. And I want to get on that board to do good work. And I'm going to dedicate myself to it and I'm going to bust my ass for it. But along the way, we're going to have a hell of a lot of fun doing it. So we love that you who signed up are along for the ride. We'll update you as we go. But we have submitted the first batch of signatures to Indiana University. And the next step is for them to verify. And once they verify and we're officially on the ballot, we will let you all know. And then it's all about creating a big group of people that will vote starting June 1st. Well, and Eric, you are so good at responding to everybody on the pigs boards on Twitter. And my guess is when you're on the board of trustees and these folks have concerns, they have ideas. They can go straight to you because I will not talk to any of them. <laughs> the door is that, closed. I was just going to be a warning. <laughs> yeah, the door is closed. Don't Let's get used clear. to that. <laughs> I will change my number. Ward, you may have trouble getting hold of me. Well, I, I I probably won't be trying to get a hold of you at that point because you'll you'll want me to help you do stuff. And I'm I'm more just, you know, the idea guy. As you know, that's why we're sitting here today. But you're the doing stuff guy. So when you actually have to do the work of a trustee, you won't be able to find me. <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, you are right. I want the communication. Just like we do on the podcast, we like people responding and giving us thoughts. We were given this next gentleman who we are interviewing today was given to us as an idea by several people on Pigs and, and Twitter who DM'd us. And if I'm lucky enough to get on the board and represent the alumni who put me there, then absolutely your voices are going to be part of, of what we're doing there because it needs to reflect the will of the, of the alumni. It needs to more than it has. Um, Okay, and then I just have some facts to bring in here before we get to the guest. Fact number one, Coach Tom Allen, undefeated since he came on our podcast. Undefeated. Fact number two, Coach Archie Miller, undefeated since he came on our podcast. Fact number three, today's guest, Coach Tom Allen and Archie Miller, like this podcast, are all powered by...
www.p4trustee.com. You might have thought we forgot. We didn't forget. We'll never forget. As a trustee, I'll start every board meeting with the siren call. That'll get you in good. You think Quinn Buckner will like that? I know he will. I mean, Quinn, why don't you come on the show? I mean, just come on the show. You know we're going to give you nothing but love. Yeah, just come on the show, Quinn. Stop this. And you don't want to be a trustee with Eric having not been on the show. That's just going to lead to some real contentious board meetings. There's going to be some awkward board meetings. Let's be honest. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) Those things are going to get awkward real fast. All right. Listen, we love telling the stories of the superstars on our pro on our program. We love telling the stories of the coaches. We love telling the stories of the people behind the scenes. And we love telling the stories of the players who busted their ass for Indiana and never got the glory and deserve their day in the sun long after they have played. And this gentleman deserves several days in the sun for what he went through at Indiana. And I am so excited that we got to talk to him. Oh, wow. That's it. You're not going to say anything? No. All right. You're going to keep this part in though? Maybe. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, We have one of the most unique guests you're ever going to have, not just for an IU basketball podcast, for a college basketball podcast, period. Eric, give give them a taste of what's to come. Hailing from Evansville, Indiana, where he led his Evansville Central High School team to the sectional title in 2004. That year, he was second in the state of Indiana in rebounds per game at 12. He was named the 2004 Metro Player of the Year. He then, of course, went to the home state Indiana Hoosiers, where in his junior year was named by the team the most improved player. He was an academic All-Big Ten honoree his freshman, sophomore, and junior year. And I like to point out, not his senior year. I think, <laughs> I think we know what was going on that senior year. This is a gentleman who came to Indiana as a walk-on, busted his ass, and earned a scholarship at Indiana University. His senior year, he was awarded with the Big Ten Sportsmanship Honoree Award. He led the team in field goal shooting percentage his senior year. He's a sports marketing and management degree. Of course he was, because he was an athlete. We'll get into that. And maybe the most interesting statistic of all, in his time at Indiana, most people will think he played for four head coaches in his time there. The truth is he played for five. And we're going to get into that when we get into that. But ladies and gentlemen, as Ward said, we're talking to someone who probably had the most unique college basketball experience that you can possibly have. And he held his head high, represented the school well every second that he was there. We are talking to Kyle Tabor. Thanks for having me. We are excited. Kyle, how the hell are you? I'm doing good. Living in Indianapolis. Uh, been here for about five years now. Uh, loving it. So good to be back home. And what are you, what doing? Are you doing? Yeah, day to day. So I sell real estate uh, here in Indianapolis. Uh, after college, I went into college coaching up in Chicago suburbs um, and the high school here in Indianapolis and then switched over a couple of years ago uh, to full time real estate commercial uh residential 
Okay. Sure. And how's that going in this crazy year? It's good. I mean, the market's booming. Um, it's hard to get started. I started right before it uh, last year. So right kind of before it started. So uh, it's put a, you know, it's made things interesting. I'll just say that, <laughs> but it's good. I like it so far. Um, I'm ready to just get out and do the full-time stuff where you're out seeing people doing a lot more virtual stuff right now. So when you, have you had any instance where you're, you get hooked up with a client, there's a lead, you get a phone call, and then they realize you're Kyle Tabor from Indiana, and that helps the sale? Because, like, if it were me, I'd be like, yeah, what house do you want me to buy? Like, I don't I don't care. Just tell me what to buy. I want to say I bought it from a Hoosier. <laughs> well, every instance so far, people have known me. Um, I haven't had the one where they didn't know who I was and then find, found out who I was later. So I haven't had that yet. And, and have you sold to any former Indiana Hoosier basketball players? Have there been any uh, alumni that you've been able to hook up with a house? No, I have not. I've met with a couple of them. Uh, one of them moved, I think, just outside my kind of network area. And the other one's still in the process of figuring out if they want to buy or not. So, All right. Well, it, it seems like a nice base of people that you'll be able to exploit once the uh, once COVID goes away. Yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> well, I've got to ask because it's on all of our minds. Have you been watching what Coach Allen and those boys are doing? Oh, for sure. It's been incredible. Uh, obviously, the Penn State game, the ending was just, what, 50 years in the making or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just giving it to Michigan, kind of handling them the whole game was incredible. So uh, Michigan State, hopefully we can get and then get that showdown with Ohio State in a couple of weeks will be fun. How bad was Indiana football when you were there? Oh, I mean, <laughs> four or five wins probably was average, except their one year they went uh, out to Arizona in that bowl game. Oh, right. I, I went to that bowl game. That was not a fun bowl game to attend. Kyle, are you like us, though? I mean, obviously, football is giving us a gift that we never imagined. But do you get excited for each Indiana season? Are you still a big fan and follow the program and get excited? I mean, obviously we ran into you at a game back in January, so we know you're around a bit. You're just up there in Indy, but are you excited? I mean, I think we start in like 15 dates. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm definitely excited every year. Obviously when I was coaching in Chicago, it was hard for me to get back because I had season during their season. Uh, so that didn't work out, but you know, I watched every game. Uh, that I could if we weren't playing um, obviously but yeah it's nice being back in Indy and not coaching basketball because now I can get down to games and get more involved well and you have had so much experience firsthand with so many different Indiana basketball coaches where where do you think Archie has the program here going into this year what are your expectations I mean I like the foundation he's setting I mean he's basing it on defense um, you know if you can defend and rebound you're going to have a chance in every game um, and I think our big thing, why we haven't won tournament games or Big Ten tournament games, those are always battles or low-scoring games. And when you're a running-gun team and you get in those environments, it usually doesn't work out well for you unless you can get hot early on and kind of carry the momentum. Um, so I like what he's doing in that. And I think they're going to win tournament games, which are, you know, when you're at Indiana, those are the most meaningful ones. Um, so they're going in the right direction for sure. So. All right, well, let's go in a different direction. Let's go backwards and go to how Kyle Tabor uh, rose to his basketball success. And and tell us about growing up and where you grew up and, and how you ultimately found the game of basketball. I, mean, I grew up in Evansville, and I mean, I just played it nonstop, you know, in the, in the driveway. 
uh, I got lucky. I had an older brother that was three years older and two of his friends were always over. So it's one of those things playing against someone older, uh, older than you all growing up. It made you a better person or a better player, not person. Maybe <laughs> a better worse person. person. <laughs> probably worst person. I've <laughs> learned bad, bad habits and traits and saying things you probably shouldn't at that age. But uh, it made me a better player for sure. So it just started at a young age as long as I can remember and just playing all the time. Well, now, if you were into basketball at such a young age, there was a, a pretty huge legend that had come out of Evansville named Calbert Chaney. Do you remember at all when he was playing at IU? You were pretty young still. I was pretty young. I was born in 85, so I would, vaguely, you know, I remember his name and hearing stuff about him. But as far as watching him, I don't remember a lot of that until I saw some clips, you know, later on and everybody talking about him and seeing different things like that. So who were some of the basketball players you watched and looked up to as you were growing up? Uh, the biggest one would be A.J. Guyton, try you. That nice. was like the time period. They had like the local channel down there that showed all the games. Um, and that was his time period. So A.J. Guyton was the one that kind of got me hooked. Now, like any kid who grows up in Indiana Hoosier fan, and specifically those that grow up in the state of Indiana, even at the time that you did, Bobby Knight is a larger than life figure. What 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 was Bobby Knight to you growing up in Evansville? I mean, just intense. I mean, I, obviously you guys know more than me, but that, you just see him on the sideline and being able to command and control everybody and you just hear stories about it and you just I mean, kind of intimidating <laughs> for sure. <laughs> did you did you grow up wanting to play for him? Like did was that was playing for Indiana a lifelong dream? Uh, yeah, going to IU and playing basketball. Yeah, I guess it really wouldn't have mattered who the coach was at the time. I just wanted to play at Indiana. Um, so I, and I made that my mind up in that probably when right before Knight got fired, I guess. Right. Um, that's why I say it didn't matter who was there. I mean, that was a dream. If I could go to IU, I was going to do it. <laughs> And, and regard, because obviously you went as a walk-on, but, and I want to talk about your success at Evansville, but I'm just curious, like at an early age, did you, did you make the decision whether it was going to be, because you could have gotten scholarships to play at, at various schools. Did it, you obviously made the decision that you'd rather be a walk-on at Indiana than take a scholarship somewhere else. When did you know that that was the case for you? So my recruitment started pretty late. I didn't play a lot of AAU. Um, we'd play like one or two tournaments a summer. It wasn't quite as, it was getting bigger in my time period. And it just wasn't a big thing in Evansville. It's kind of weird, but um, it just wasn't at the time. So I didn't get a lot of interest until a little bit later. I had some D1s come and look at me in open gyms and different thing. And I was six, seven, but as 190 pounds. And they all said they needed someone that could come in and play right away. They didn't want to register somebody. Mm. So they all passed. And then juco was like a route that could have been possible for me or some just lower level stuff and then in the spring of my senior year uh dusty may i don't know if you guys know that name. sure my high school coach at the time and they were graduating a walk-on uh, i believe jason stewart and they needed a, a a big guy walk-on um so coach chitty my high school coach set it up with dusty may and i came up and played an open gym with them in the spring um, the coaches weren't allowed to watch, but I guess I did good enough where the player said, you know, he'd be okay. I met with Coach Davis. He said, if I come, I'd be on the team. And, and that was it. I was like, that's where I'm going. <laughs> wow. So let, let's jump back to the, the glorious high school sectional championship, because we all know what that means in each community around the state. 
Um, and now I'm sorry. I always forget when class basketball kicked in. Were you in class or single class or multi-class? Multi-class. We were 4A. For us, my small school, it was still single A, but it was like really winning the sectional was the equivalent of winning the state because we knew we were never going to be competing down in Indianapolis. So was it really intense in the Evansville sectional? And how did that go? And more, I just want to know what what the feeling was like with the, the the school and the team when you guys pulled that off. Yeah, I mean, Central has some history back in the like 50s and 60s. And then it kind of fell off. And then the early 90s, they were good. They won like five straight sectionals before the class happened. Um, and then after that, it was like nothing. Like we were losing my seventh grade year, eighth grade year, freshman year. I mean, we weren't winning many games at all, like four or five games. So we built up a little bit our junior year and then had our good senior year. So, yeah, it was a big thing. And we got to do it on our home court, which was exciting. Um, and then we actually played Bloomington North and Regionals. Uh, and lost in overtime. Mm. Uh, we started that, that game. I did okay. I did better rebounding than scoring. I had a teammate that was pretty good as well. And we actually started out started out hot, like ten to two or something. And they switched to zone and pressured our guards. We had two younger guards, freshman guards, that started for us, um, and that kind of hurt us. And we lost in overtime. So, but but you were six seven. And you were second in the state in rebounding. That's not just because you're you're not like seven three where that would just happen. But I'm guessing a lot of that is just about determination and understanding where the ball is going to come down and getting yourself there. Was that something you really focused on? Yeah, I mean, I played every shot like a miss, no matter where it was at. Uh, I think probably about four of those were offensive rebounds a game. Um, wow. One of those four is probably my miss. I'm getting back. <laughs> 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 That's good. Good way to pad the stats. Yeah, I mean, you had to. So, uh, but yeah, rebounding was my thing. Uh, I only averaged 13 a game, but I we were a very balanced, slow, grinded out team. I mean, I think I shot like 64% from the field or something um, and got double teamed, you know, quite a bit. So we were team oriented, oriented and I didn't care about scoring. You can you guys can see that when I got on the floor at IU, like I didn't really care. I wanted to be efficient and I, I hate missing shots, I guess. So I only took shots that I thought I was really going to make. <laughs> and you did like make that. a lot of them. Like it, w- one year you were like the leading field goal percentage on the team for IU. Yeah, senior year. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't I don't like missing. <laughs> that was. <laughs> I felt if I miss a shot, I feel like I let my teammates down. I don't know why. I just, I didn't like it. <laughs> when, as you became more of like a rebounder and that became your thing. And by the way, averaging 12 rebounds a game in high school basketball with no shot clock is impressive as hell because there just aren't that many shots. There aren't that many possessions. Did you start patterning your game after like, you know, was Dennis Rodman a thing for you that a guy that just was like an animal for the boards? Were there other people that you looked to that you started patterning your game after? Not really. I mean, I remember Rodman and all of his antics more than his rebounding, you know, but I don't, it was just, just my mindset and I don't know where it came from. Um, but I just knew that that was a way I could help early on with obviously with my size, but I was good. Like you said, Ward with kind of reading the ball off the rim and seeing where, seeing where it was going to go. Um, I don't know. I just had a good feel for that. Now, the great thing about playing basketball in the state of Indiana, as you did, is you almost, almost invariably, you get to play against some amazing players. Who was the best player you remember playing against in your high school career? Uh, Zeller, the oldest Zeller. Mm. 
Yeah, we played Washington every year, and he was a year younger than me, I believe. Got it. And yeah, so he was, you know, highly regarded, top whatever kid, you know, could have went basically anywhere. Um, and we had to go. I think we beat him his sophomore year at our place, and then the junior year when we went up there, they got us. Got um, it. But what's was, that? What's that gym like in Washington? Oh, it was. It's nice. I mean, just completely surrounded, and obviously he was there, so the crowd was you know, jam packed and it just has a college atmosphere a little bit with the scoreboard above the goal and everything or above the center court. I don't know. It's a nice place to play. One question we always ask to anybody who is able to do this in their life. Cause Ward and I were definitely not able to is the first time you dunked the basketball. Do you remember the first time you threw down a dunk? Uh, just a normal dunk. It was probably my freshman year. Um, so I actually had – I played football eighth grade year and tore my ACL. Ooh. I didn't come back from that until first game of the freshman season, and I was very, very out of shape. <laughs> Been <laughs> overweight, out of shape, couldn't do anything for basically seven months back then. I know they could get it done a little quicker now, um, but couldn't do anything. So it was the spring of my freshman year. Uh, is when I got my first dunk once I lost some of that weight back. <laughs> and what do you remember the specific play, or was it in practice? That was just that was just first dunk, just messing around like an open gym or something. And how cool was that? I mean, did you freak out when you threw it down? Because I'd still be freaking out about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just like, oh, I can do this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first game though, I don't know. It, it might have been my junior year. I wasn't the most explosive. I could, I could, I just, I guess I was, had a little bit of explosion because I was so light back then. Right. So skinny. Um, but uh, my conditioning wasn't the greatest. So, you know, it required a lot of effort. And I was just like, I'm not about that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so now the other thing that's happening while you're in high school and kind of building your uh, legacy there at Evansville and leading to sectional championships is Indiana is going through a massive transition. Coach Knight is fired basically your freshman year in high school, I believe, or around there. And yeah. Coach Davis takes over. And then, of course, in the year 2002, we have that miraculous run where we make it all the way to the championship game. Do you remember following the team during that time? And, and what, what was that like for you? I remember it very well sophomore um, in high school. So I just remember, I can't remember which game it was. It wasn't the Duke game. I think it was the game afterwards. Uh, a bunch of us just went to, I think, a Buffalo Wild Wings, and that place was just electric. Was, I think the game, they might have hit like 15 threes or something. Yeah. yeah. Is it Kent State maybe? Kent State, yeah, to get and into the Final just, Four. I don't know. I've never been in a restaurant before and just having a, like a game – like atmosphere where everyone was just going crazy the entire time. And that kind of just kind of set the tone for everything uh, IU related for me. <laughs> Coming out of the whole night era, if you had any reservations about IU still being the place to go, that must've wiped them right out. Do you remember thinking something like that? Like, Oh wow. They're, they're still going to be great. Yeah. I mean, I obviously would love to play at IU at that point. I wasn't even thinking about where I might be going. Mm. Uh, I probably just thought I, I wasn't good enough to play at IU, <laughs> you know, um, I didn't, it wasn't on my radar, but like I said, back, you know, in the early mid nineties, I guess if that was still my dream school, if IU happened, I was going to go. <laughs> so do you remember, you told us how you got connected with Indiana and Dusty May, who by the way is now the head coach 
at uh, is it Florida International or Florida uh, Atlantic? Atlantic? Atlantic, Florida Atlantic. Um, what was the, like the what was it like the first time you met Coach Davis, and what was your impression of him? So he was like I said, it was after that open gym in the spring. He was just very laid back. I think I think maybe one of his sons was in there playing video games or something, or a player was in there playing video games or something, and you know he was just very calm and collective and just. I don't know. I liked it because <laughs> yeah. I was super nervous at the time. Um, it wasn't like straight up intimidating. Like I was nervous around him and all that stuff, but he made it easy to talk to. And, you know, I was just excited that he liked me and, you know, offered me that opportunity. But the open gym on that court, I was the first player that showed up driving up from Evansville. I just remember shaking the whole time. Uh-huh. And the manager even came out and rebounded for me. And I'm like, why are you rebounding for me? I'm like, I told the kid, I was like, I'm going to shoot like five footers for about 10 minutes because you're going to maybe airball a bunch because I'm just shaking right now. <laughs> and and do you remember that open gym? Do you remember who you played against and like who played well in that, who you had to guard? Uh, I don't remember how I had to guard, but Bracey Wright was kind of the guy at that time. And right. I just remember born a lot. And uh, I probably only got a couple games in, you know, of the eight or nine they played. Um, you know, they're trying to get better and prepare for, you know, next season. But I was just very nervous. I did okay, though. Yeah, I would say you did well. Probably shot 50% from the field. Pretty, pretty standard. <laughs> <laughs> but it was your what would become your peers, the other players that had to give you the green light as far as the coaches were concerned of being like, yes, this guy will make us better if he's on this team. So that that has to make you feel good just showing up for the first day. Yeah, you say made them make them feel uh, make them better. I'm more like I just didn't screw up that much. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was nice. I mean, they were all nice uh, guys, and obviously, then they became teammates like five months later when I came up in the in the summer. So it, it was it was a good experience. So you get up there, and it's kind of a weird team that year because it's 2004, 2005, right? And then. Yeah. That team, Mike Roberts was a senior on that team, right? Boss. <laughs> Boss what, what do you remember about Boss? <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Let's hear something good. Boss was wild, but in a good way. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what he would like me to say or what he wouldn't like me Don't to worry say. about what he would like. Come on. he. <laughs> I guess a good Mike Roberts story would be, you would run so much and you, they'd have trash cans behind the goal and people would have to spit in them and different things like that. And it's like shoot snot rockets into there and different things like that. And just say funny comments left and right. And I don't, he was, he was really good for me though. He yeah. talked to me. He was very honest with me. He's a guy who actually said like, if you keep this up, you'll be fine. Like, It'll take some time, but you actually, you can play with us. Mm. Lot, uh, he was the only guy that probably said that to me, um, wow. that I can actually play with him. And I had a long way to go. I mean, obviously a freshman walk on, I wasn't expecting anything. I knew I had to get better. I was just there to help. I wasn't in my mind even thinking about playing. I knew that wasn't a thing. I just wanted to be a part of it. So, Well, I, actually, I, I would love to get into that because when you come as a walk on, at Indiana, you aren't thinking, I would imagine, I'm going to earn a scholarship at some point and play 20 minutes a game. 
So it was your mindset just, this is my life for the next four years. I'm a walk-on. I'm going to be a practice player. I'm probably not going to play that much. Um, How do you get your mind? Were you just so happy to be at Indiana that that you were going to be the best at that that you could be? Or was the idea that I can work really hard to earn playing time ever even a possibility for you at that point? I wasn't thinking about that at all, for sure. I was just trying to help the team any way I could. And, and like you said, two years ago, or I guess three years before I got there, they were playing in the final four or the championship. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, if I do enough and try to get everyone better and things like that, I might have a chance to, you know, be on a championship team. And that's all I wanted to do. That's so cool. Did it take any kind of adjustment? Because clearly you knew what you were getting into, but you were such a pivotal part of probably every team you played on before that, never mind, you know, a, a sectional championship team in class 4A in the state of Indiana. D- did it bother you at all to all of a sudden be like, I'm a behind the scenes guy. I'm a part of this team. I help make the guys who get out onto the court better. But were you just totally okay with that from the jump or was there adjustment? I really was okay with it. Mm. I mean, I knew I wasn't as good as those guys. <laughs> And it, it just ne- never crossed my mind to think about playing. I was, I mean, obviously if I got good enough and I was better than them and I wasn't playing, you know, my senior year, then I would, might felt a little weird. Um, but I just knew I was just there to help the team in any way I could. And, you know, it didn't help. They drop gear every once in a while. You get shoes, you get, get some clothes, get food, you fly <laughs> on the plane. I mean, there were some good parts of it. Um, some bad parts, too. I mean, that first year we had, I think, 19 guys on the roster um, because Marco Killingsworth yes. and Lewis Monroe came over late. And we, so that means we, I think we had six walk ons. So I, Adam Allfield and myself actually had a locker with the managers. Like we weren't even in the locker room, there weren't enough lockers. Wow. So there were things like that, but I didn't really care. I mean, it didn't bother me. It was just a locker. <laughs> Your day-to-day was basically the same as all the scholarship players at that point, right? There was, besides being uh, over at the, the the manager's locker there, once more people showed up, it was just like you, you were on that team. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I actually tore my ACL that freshman year. Right. You had a red shirt, right? That's my Mike Roberts story. He's the one that caused me to tear my ACL. What? <laughs> What happened? Uh, he was just guarding me. I was just driving him on the perimeter, and I did a spin move back down, and he just gave me a big old bump and it twisted the wrong way, and I tore it. <laughs> and how far into the season was that? Had the game started yet? Yeah, I want to say it was in December, um, early or mid-December, uh, something like that. So Got it. So, yeah, I, that first season, I only got a couple months in. Was it the same one as you had hurt in Evansville? Yes, it was the same one. Wow. That that had to make you think, am I going to be able to come back from this, right? Yeah. I think long-term, it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, like I said, I was 190 pounds. I might have got up to 195. I mean, ran more in college than I did in high school. So it was hard to put on weight. Um, but me not being able to run or do anything for that six months, I actually gained a lot of weight. It wasn't good weight, but I actually gained weight. <laughs> when I lost it, most of it, it actually helped me, you know, form some muscle and different things like that. Sure. So I want to hit on some of the other players that came to town that year, your first year, because as you mentioned, Marco Killingsworth and Lewis Monroe come to town. Uh, They're, they're like seniors, but they got to sit out a year. 
um, it was a weird thing because you didn't hear now everybody transfers and it's no big deal. But then for guys to transfer and sit out a year to only play one year was a very strange thing. But these two guys were supposed to kind of help restore Indiana to what it was before. Uh, Marco Killingsworth, one of the scariest human beings physically ever in the history of the world. I would imagine there were times you had to guard him in practice. Yeah. What the hell was Marco Killingsworth like? <laughs> you know what? If you got Marco's tendencies, he was all right shoulder or left hand. And he was 6'6". Six, six. I mean, he he was undersized. He probably had a 6'10", six, 6'11", six, wingspan. Um, but you could, if you learned his tendencies, you could guard him a little bit better. Um, but he was a bull, obviously, so thick and strong. Like, if he posted up, you couldn't get around him and things like that. Um, so, I mean, it was good for me. And actually, Marco, I love Marco. He was one of the nicest guys that first year to me. Um, we actually had classes that got out around the same time, and we walked around campus together. And, you know, he would tell me his Coach Davis stories and how he calls him Coach Dave and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So he was a, he was actually a really good guy to me. But and yes, who- very intimidating. Yeah, very. And by the way, I love that he was only 6'6", because I think in the program, he was probably 6'8", 6'9". Oh, yeah. yeah. No way, he's 6'6". <laughs> uh, who were the other freshmen that came in that year with you? So DJ was the big one. Yep. James Hardy, who did both football. Uh, AJ Ratliff, Robert Vaden, obviously, he was really good. Um, Adam Allfeld was another walk-on. And then there was a big guy from california that was supposed to come he's a foreigner no was it lucas stein lucas came in his place okay all right i was supposed to be his roommate he was a foreigner from california i don't know where he was and this ended up going to play overseas and Got then it. lucas came lucas actually came like a week after classes started <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he was my roommate <laughs> It was an odd group of people. Now, what what was interesting was DJ was a five-star recruit, and that was a huge get. And I think it was Mike Davis's biggest get as a recruit, being at Indiana. But he also nailed the in-state recruiting that year because Hardy, Vaden, and Ratliff were studs. And, I mean, and most people thought Ratliff would be the best of the group. I think Vaden turned out in the Indiana kids to be to be clearly the best, and Hardy became the best football player of the group and, and a star and a, a sad ending to his story. But what what is it like to go from Evansville, where you are, like Ward said, the star, if you will, number two in the state and rebounding, and now you're in practice with Marco Killingsworth, DJ White, Robert Vaden. I mean, all these guys. How long did it take you to just shake off the holy shit, these guys are really good, and I just got to go out and do my best. Was there a learning curve for you there? Uh, I mean, definitely. Definitely learning curve. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me, though, was in high school, I would guard the center or a power forward who's not that fast, you know, things like that. So I was better at post defense. But then I come there, and they're going to post defense stuff. And that's for the six nine guys, the six ten guys. So I'm actually guarding Vaden out on the perimeter, oh. and that was my specialty. So he he lit me up just constantly. I just had to sink off of him, and he had a really good pull up game, and he just constantly just kept giving it to me. And I couldn't do anything about that. If I got to the post defense stuff, I'd do a lot better. 
but yeah, that uh, perimeter stuff was not for me. <laughs> not then. Can you tell us a little bit about Robert Vaden? I, I loved him. He was one of my favorite players and was really sad when he left, when, when Coach Davis left. But what was he like as a person? I have no sense of him and his personality. Yeah, I mean, he was a quieter guy for sure. Um, but he just kind of came in and worked. He loved to shoot. Um, he'd work on his game constantly. So, I mean, obviously it showed. Um, I wasn't super close with him, you know, for the two years we were there, but I know the closest we got, I guess, was when he was just, you know, lighting me up from hand in face. <laughs> I think we're going to get into each of the many coaches you played for in Bloomington. So here with coach Davis, give us a sense of how he'd run a practice, you know, what his philosophy was towards the game of basketball, because you always hear about like a, a quarterback coming into the NFL and playing under a bunch of different offensive coordinators and can never get their feet under them. So this is the first of many guys you're going to have to try to learn what they want and how they want it. What was his, what was his deal? I mean, he was obviously a player's coach. You've heard that from a lot of people laid back, you know, it was almost like an AAU program. Um, but he kind of like you said with the coordinators in football, he kind of had that. Coach Rupp was uh, focused solely on offense, and Coach Donnie Marsh was actually focused on defense. And he trusted those guys a great deal, more than any other head coach kind of trusted uh, assistant coaches when, when I was there. Uh, he let them kind of run a lot of other things offensively and defensively, and he would kind of take a back seat at times. Um, I mean, there's times he would just stroll in in jeans and a sweater and we were like, all right, this is going to be an easy practice day. <laughs> <laughs> so was, and I didn't know any better because that was the first college coach I played for. And then right. it was obviously once Coach Sampson came in, it was a big turnaround. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how he was just laid back and. I mean, I remember some film sessions we, we were supposed to have at three o'clock and he would show up at four. We'd just sit in the locker room for an hour before film. Um, and I think he had a strategy behind it. It's not like he was just like, I think it was his chance to let us kind of discuss stuff on our own and different things like that. Um, but it, it, we sat there for a long time. Sean Klein would fall asleep in the locker, you know, all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um that 2004 team, while you're recovering from your injury, is a really interesting team. One thing about Mike Davis, if he was involved in this, he did himself no favors when it came to scheduling non-conference. No. You guys always played tough teams. And that year specifically, you play three top 10 teams in the non-conference. And you off to a really rough start. Two and six start. And never got your feet under you in the non-conference schedule. But the but the Big Ten season is different. I mean, look, the Big Ten season, we would die to have a Big Ten season like this now. You go 10 and 6 in the Big Ten. You, you, you do seem to get things together. DJ is obviously establishing himself as a stud. Vaden is establishing himself. And the year does seem like a building year to next year when Marco is going to be healthy and we're probably going to have like the best front court in the country with DJ and Marco. But I am curious... You're your freshman year, just you're recovering from an injury. You're getting your head around playing big time division one basketball. Are you aware at all of the rumors swirling because they are swirling at this point about Mike Davis's job. And did that ever impact you in, in any real way? Uh, I was aware of it. I mean, obviously people talk about it or you can read stuff on the internet or whatever, but as far as impacting me, I mean, no, because I mean, I came in, 
if I was healthy, even that next year, you know, I was just doing what I could to help the team win. So it didn't impact me. It could have impacted other guys. I don't know. Um, but it wasn't but, something that the team was like consumed with talking about or anything like that. Not that I heard. No. Okay. So then you get to go, you're, you're recovered. You get to come into your sophomore year where now Marco is going to play and you're on the team. Now you're doing more. Your leg is, is coming around. Although I imagine it's still taking a full year probably to come back from an injury like that. Uh, well, yeah, they decided to release me uh, first day of conditioning. So, you know, I don't do anything for eight months and then first day of conditioning in the fall. Why don't you go out and run with everybody and just do awful. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and what was that like? That was brutal. Yeah. I was like, I, I can't run that far that fast that long. <laughs> and is anybody worried about your knee except for you at this point? No, it was like, I think it was, we went out to the football field. This is before we had like strength coaches. So we do a lot of stuff with the football strength coaches. They kind of did mm. both sports. So we do a lot of like, I think they called them longs or something on the football field. So it went a lot of starting and stopping, but I was just like, I haven't ran, you know, condition wise in eight months. And now first day is going to be our hardest day of conditioning. So. This will be fun. <laughs> well, in the very first game of the year, you guys, you're, you're ranked going into the season. So people know there's there's some talent going on here. Run Nichols State out of the gym. You get into the game. Fellow walk-on, Adam Offeld, dishes you the ball, and you get your first bucket as an Indiana Hoosier. How great did that feel? It felt good. I'm just glad it went in. <laughs> I, just, I think I got it out of my hands as quick as I could and just prayed it went in. And then, yeah, just try not to mess up the next time. <laughs> How nervous were you going into that game? Uh, like just sitting on the bench or actually entering the game? Like, like, did you, what was going through your head while you were sitting on the bench? Were you like, oh my God, we're killing these guys. I might get in. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about it. I was just like, you just never know, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then obviously they called me down there and I just try to stretch as much as you can. Cause you're hun hunkered over on that bench for so long and trying to get loose. And then it's kind of nice though. Just when you're up that much, there's not a lot of pressure. I mean, if you miss a layup, you miss a layup, but right. But Kyle, just try if you can to tell two guys that the, the closest we ever come to putting on the candy stripes is because we bought them from the Adidas online store, you know, what is it like someone who grew up in Indiana, it was your dream to play there, to lace up the shoes, to have the candy stripes on, to come out in that layup line? Like, try to put us in that moment with you the first time you got a real chance to do that. What was that like for you? Uh, kind of like that open gym, you know, the first time I stepped on the court. I mean, you just have some nerves. You're a little bit shaky. Just try to get rid of them as quick as you can. So I think besides that, the crowd, I mean, just seeing all those people there. I mean, we had great crowds when I was there. Like, they were incredible. The students were so passionate. Um, and it was a lot of fun, especially, you know, those big games. Uh, oh, yeah. Fun. But uh, just many people in that loud was was a big thing as well. Well, speaking of a big game, a big game happens in Bloomington not long after the season starts. And it is one of those games that it's maybe the only loss that I think Indiana fans look back on fondly, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it's the Duke game and it's the Marco dunk. We have heard from a few people who were at that game or played in that game 
that they maintained that that moment was the loudest that Assembly Hall has ever been, even more so than the Watford uh, shot, the watch shot. What do you remember about that game, the environment, and then take us through what your perspective was on that moment? The biggest thing I remember about that game was going in at halftime. It was loud the entire game. When we went into the locker room at halftime, your ears had a ringing in them because you finally got silence. And it was like – yeah, it was something else. Uh, and then we went on that run. And I could see how some people would say it was louder because when the watch shot happened, half the students are you know, running down the stairs trying to get on the right. get on the court. When this one happened, I mean, it was right around that eight-minute timeout, and we just went on a run and finally took the lead. Um, yeah, that was the loudest I've ever heard it. And it was, no even came close to that noise level. Mm. So – you get to go a, a couple games after that to the RCA Dome, and you guys are playing Kentucky. This one ends up much better. This time the good guys win. What was it like being there in in a football stadium against the hated nemesis from down south? What, what was the atmosphere like? And, again, was this just you realizing young Kyle's dream of being a part of this not only the the historic program you're on but facing off against a team like this yeah I mean obviously me being from Evansville or right across the border from Kentucky so that was a big game for me growing up like that was the one um, yeah so being a part of that and just giving it to him and I, I just remember Adam Allfeld and myself were just trying to get the crowd just going nonstop, even though we were winning we just wanted it to get louder and louder and wanted to pile it on as much as we could <laughs> did you guys have any like i know some you know bench players have like dances or cheers or hand signs that they do did you guys have some of that stuff yeah i'd say eric sewer was probably the ringleader of that <laughs> got it do you remember uh, any of them uh it was usually when we hit a three um he would shoot a bow and arrow off. That was his big thing. <laughs> Adam would strap him up at the beginning and load him up with the arrows, and then he would pull him out and shoot the shoot the arrows whenever we hit a three. And what would you do? Were you pulling the arrow also? <sighs> I don't know if I pulled him or not. See, I, I would if I were if I were you guys, I'd have been like, all right, you load the arrows in the quiver, I'll pull it, but then you shoot it at Kyle, then Kyle has to mime like he was hit by it. Like it would be a whole production on the sideline. I like yeah. when I see that with the, with the players. No, I know, I did, I did too, and it was. I didn't think it happened as much as it does now. Back right. when we were in school, so we thought you know it was like the big thing because you know that's what we had to go you know, go with. And we didn't think a lot of people did it yet. You know, we, we talk a lot on this show about luck and how luck not only plays into wins and losses in given games, but how luck plays into seasons, like the luck of where you're matched up in an NCAA tournament. Um, Luck also matters a lot for coaches futures and DJ white gets injured that year. And so that great front court of Marco and DJ doesn't get a chance to really show what they could be. Our team starts 12 and three that year and you beat Kentucky ranked 15th. You beat Ohio state ranked 19th. You beat Illinois ranked seventh. You guys are 12 and three. You're four and one in the conference. It's like looking pretty good. And the rumors surrounding Davis, I think get quieted a little bit at that point, because it does seem like, wow, maybe he can get this thing back on track. I mean, you got ranked in the top 10. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. It went all the way up? 
number nine. Only IU football does that now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're rolling and then you hit a wall that truthfully we've seen a little bit of over the last several years. Uh, when, when Archie's team in year two lost 12 of 13, you guys lose seven of eight. What do you remember from like the high of the highs of like, we're on the same level as Duke and we're beating these big teams in the RCA dome to losing seven of eight and just feeling like the hole is so big. How the hell can we get out of it? What do you remember from that time? We need DJ back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really that simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was our thing. Like get healthy. We need you. Um, but yeah, then you start hearing people talk about it. And I remember we, the big one I remember was, I think it was an Iowa game. They talked about doing a blackout or something. Yes. Um, I think Alford might've even been the coach at Iowa at the time. Oh, wow. I, I you're probably right. You're and I think right. that's why they kind of scheduled it with that game. Cause I know a lot of people wanted to see him back or whatever. Um, so that was the one. And then we came out and I didn't notice any of that. Um, but that's when you kind of heard it a little bit more, I guess. And then there is the Iowa game where coach Davis doesn't come to. Right. Like he calls in sick, basically. Do you remember the weirdness surrounding that? I mean, yeah, obviously we just had to go off of what we heard or what we were told, um, you know, how he was sick and couldn't really even move. So, and that's what I was told. That's what I was going to believe. And, and that actually gives rise to the second coach you played for at Indiana. This is the, the trivia one. So I assume coach Rupp took over, right? Yeah. I forgot about that. I wouldn't even see. I was on stuck on four. There you go. Here. <laughs> so Coach Rupp does that game. First of all, here's the first problem. At Indiana University, I don't care how good he is. You never hire somebody whose last name is Rupp, period. <laughs> I don't care how good he is. That's a mistake. That is yeah. just an unadulterated mistake. Um, but shortly thereafter, Coach Davis resigns. And it's a very weird thing. He resigns in the middle of the year. You guys have a lot of games to play, but he's going to coach the rest of the year. What yeah. the hell is going on on the team during this time uh, of this just kind of crazy chaos? I mean, in my, my opinion, I just, you just assumed he was kind of forced out. Like, why else would you, you know, do that? Like he knew it was going to happen at the end of the year. They told him it was going to happen at the end of the year. And he, he just wanted this, he just wanted the pressure off of him. Uh, I remember flying back after our tournament game um, out in Utah when we lost to Gonzaga in the yeah. second round after he already, I remember him on the flight and he just, he laid across three seats and just fell asleep. And I could just tell like all the pressure was relieved from him. Hmm. It was just so much and so much outside, outside noise on him. Like I said, that it didn't really bother us too much, but I'm sure, you know, that affected him a lot. And I just thought he had, you know, was relieved with all that pressure. Do you think that, I mean, because you guys ended up winning your last four conference games, you beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament, which, you know, that was probably the last time yeah. that happened. We don't, then, we don't beat Wisconsin anymore, and we don't win a Big Ten tournament games. Nope, not our thing. And then you do go out and you beat San Diego State in the first round of the NCAA double tur uh, tournament. Do you, do you feel like maybe the fact that the pressure came off of him, that, that – 
maybe it was a personal decision for him, but did that come out to the team? Did you all feel a little looser? Did you feel maybe compelled to go out there and win one for the Gipper in the form of Coach Davis and finish strong? Yeah, I mean, those guys that were actually like playing the games, not, you know, just celebrating on the bench like myself. <laughs> I can definitely see that, you know, for them. Just they all loved Coach Davis and I could see them playing hard for him. Uh, I know that one of the things I was thinking is like, what what happens if we make like an elite eight or a final four and our coach is gone? <laughs> totally, totally. It was, was crazy. Like yeah. And by the way, let's also not forget this. You're a kid who grew up loving basketball. You wanted to play at Indiana. You're in the tournament and you guys hit a buzzer beater. Robert yeah. Vaden hits the game winner of that year against a good San Diego State team. You win the game. My God, this is the dream. You won an NCAA tournament game playing out in Salt Lake City. How cool was that? And was it at all undercut by the fact that you knew that the end was near for your coach? Did Or, or was it celebratory? Well, here's the walk-on moment for you. So we were only allowed to dress so many players. I actually watched that game in the stands. Oh, no kidding. I was halfway up. I don't remember who I sat with. It was me and someone else. I think we were right across the aisle from uh, Danny Ainge, maybe. Was he with the Celtics as yeah. a scout or coach or something? We sat right by him. Um, and I had to watch it from the stands. But I was, it was cool. I was celebrating like a fan. And then the next game, we switched. Adam sat in the stands. And I was on the bench for a Gonzaga game. So I hope Adam busts your balls and says that when he dresses, you win tournament games. And when you dress, you shit the bed. You know what? He doesn't. <laughs> it's a mistake. Thank it's you. a mistake. But that's another walk-on thing that some people don't think about. They think it's all glory. and But I didn't care. I mean, I know it wasn't playing. I got to celebrate a tournament game. And Did you get to go to the locker room? Uh, I don't remember. Honest, wow. I think I just went to the bus. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what happened in the locker room, I guess. I haven't wow. even thought about that. <laughs> I mean, at least they got you pretty good seats if you're right by Danny Ainge. Those are, you know, those yeah. aren't nosebleeds. And we were like 20 rows up. It was a nice little bowl stadium there. Yeah. But did you think yeah. about scalping, scalping the tickets, watching the game from a local bar? You person, I wasn't gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you remember your last team get together meeting or conversation with Coach Davis before he left the team? I do not. I do so, not. The last thing I remember is that flight home. And I don't know. I don't know if we had a meeting after that. And if we did, I, I don't remember it. I'm sorry. That's all right. So now the intrigue begins. And there are a few things that raise the, the ire of Indiana fans than a coaching search, especially in basketball. And the rumors are swirling about who they're going to bring in. What are you guys doing during this time? Are you following this like we all are? Or is anybody giving you inside information like, hey, here's who we think it's going to be? And how do you ultimately find out that Kelvin Sampson is hired as the new head coach? We had no idea what was going on. No one told us anything, at least myself. Um, the people around me had no idea. So if someone got in, inside information, they didn't know about it. They were very tight sealed. I remember finding out about it, and I think half the team was there. We were in study tables after like three o'clock when we would normally practice after the season, and we popped up on ESPN.com and we're like, "Oh, there's our new coach." That's how you found out. You didn't even get a phone call from like the AD or anything. Nope, that's how we found out. And what was your first feeling when you saw that? 
I knew nothing about him, so I had no idea what to think. I, I guess everyone's initial reaction was just, you know, how crazy is the guy going to be? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Coach Davis is a different coach, and you hear about, you know, a lot of these guys committed to a program or a coach like that over, you know, a coach that might be a little bit different. And, you know, that's a draw to some of these kids that came here. Um, so you're just kind of thinking how, how crazy this guy going to be and, you know, what are, what are we getting ourselves into? <laughs> did you, did you hear right away that it was a contentious decision? Because it's well known that when that hiring was made, there were a lot of people in and outside the power structure that were like, he, no, this guy's, this guy's dirty. He's, he's got violations. He's running away from that stuff. And then the other camp is like, yeah, but he's an amazing coach and he's been to the final four. So was that something around you guys at all? Or since it was pre Twitter, could you kind of avoid it? Yeah, we could avoid it a little bit. Obviously we heard about phone calls and, you know, that didn't bother any of us. We're just like, Oh, okay. You made some phone calls. You know, what's, what's the big deal? Obviously broke some rules at the time. It didn't bother us. And it, Obviously, yeah, if it, Twitter was around or something like that, it might have been a little bit different for us. But So then Kelvin comes to town. Do you remember the first team meeting uh, with Kelvin, the first time you met him? Uh, yes, I believe I do. He was very positive. He actually he engaged the team uh, in the meeting. It wasn't just all about him. You know, he kind of asked what we were looking for in a coach what we were looking for, you know, to get better for next year and things like that. And I remember DJ's answer was, I want to win on the road because we couldn't win on the road. Mm. And he, he convinced us, he's like, we're going to win on the road. We're going to find a way. We're going to do it this way, this way, this way. And this is what's going to happen. And I mean, we became a little bit more believers after that. Um, and, you know, he convinced a lot of the players too, some of them were going to be seniors, maybe thinking about transferring things like that. And, you know, he convinced us like everyone thought we were going to be in a rebuilding year because they knew some people were leaving. Vaden was gone. Like they knew some of that, but he knew if he had everyone, he's convinced us that we're not rebuilding this year. We're, you know, we're, we got the talent. We're going to get it done this year. It's it's we've talked about this recently. It's an amazing thing that happened in those two years because you not only lost Vaden, you lost Marco, who was the primary player. Now, granted, DJ was injured, so him coming back was big, but it's an entirely new system. It's an entirely different philosophy. What do you remember about practices when they started under Coach Sampson compared to practices under Coach Davis? Well, the first the practices in the spring. First of all, we had like 5.30 a.m. It was like a spring, like right when he got hired. And we were just like, oh, God, what's going to happen? This <laughs> so luckily, we had like four big guys, I guess. You know, they call them guards and bigs. And there were like four of us. And one of them was DJ. And they were still trying to convince DJ to stay. So mm. really chill. <laughs> we were with like the strength coach he was going to bring in. He focused more on the guards. And it was really chill. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> can do this um but yeah once we got to the practices in the fall a little bit different um just defense and rebounding was this thing I mean if you could do those things you you were going to play um he focused on how to coach defense how to some crazy rebounding drills um and then kind of let like a lot of coaches do these days recruit players that are offensively talented let them do their thing on the offensive end try to just put them in simple situations that where they're good 
and coached the heck out of their uh, defense and, and rebounding. So, uh, but they were intense practices for sure. And did you, you find that you guys had to unlearn some stuff? We know coach Davis had like a hundred scripted plays that you were out there running with. So is there, because if, if there was a transition, it must've happened a lot in the spring and working on it over the summer into the fall because of the way you guys started. But we, we hear that a lot that you kind of have to unlearn one thing to learn a new one. Did you see that happening as you guys were getting ready for the season? Uh, I'd say a little bit. Um, like I said, the big thing was just his defense. I, he coached the heck out of defense, what we're going to take away from the other team, how we're going to take it away. Um, so that was just ingrained in us every day, every practice, you know, so many different drills that we got through that very quickly. Um, and offensively, you know, we just set a lot of ball screens. <laughs> yeah. really big. That was when like ball screens like took over, like mm. people got really involved in that. So offensively, obviously for my side, it was easier, you know, being a big guy, you don't have to learn how to read it as much. You know, you just got to get angles down and feel and different things like that. But for the guards, it might've been a little bit different for them. What were the crazy rebounding drills you were alluding to? Can you tell us about one of those? Uh, I mean, he'd put the bubble up there. Sometimes it'd be full court, so no one can make a shot, and you get maybe two points for an offensive rebound, one point for a defensive rebound. So you, you work it down to the end of the shot clock. Uh, sometimes it's just four on four on each other. Guys under the basket, they shoot it up there, and there's this pushing, scrapping, and clawing, and seeing who can come away with five of the, uh, the quickest. Mm. Um, those are some ones, but he had consequences to everything. Everything was either timed or they had consequences. So you knew what was going to happen if you lost, you know, you had to do a, one of the hardest runs in this amount of time, or you got to do it again, different things like that. So you knew what was coming, which was nice. Um, he, he was very detailed in that aspect. We've heard from other players that when you've got super competitive players on the court, and you're banging and you're going after each other. And DJ is super competitive, obviously. And you've got some other players on the team like that, that fights break out every once in a while. Were you ever involved in a fight in practice? I was not. Did you, did you witness a good fight in practice? Uh, I don't think there was any punches being thrown. If there were, none of them landed. Got it. But a lot of times it would happen in like more in open gyms in the fall or spring or summer or something like that, where there weren't coaches around and you're just going up against the same guy over and over every day, playing open gym for an hour and a half. And that's when it, battles would get a little bit more heated. <laughs> well, yes, I never saw a few bunches landed at least. That's good. It is funny. Um, when you talk about how detail oriented he was and how he coached the hell out of defense and rebounding because the team went through a 180 degree transformation. It seemed overnight. Obviously there was a lot of work that went in between coach Davis leaving in the spring and then, and then all the workouts into the fall, but you guys were a grinded out team that first year under Kelvin, a lot of new players, Armand Bassett, uh, Mike White, Lance Stemmer, Mike White, by the way. Let's talk about Mike White for a second, because that dude was as big as a double wide trailer. I mean, <laughs> what was it like? Gar and he was probably like six, five, right? Yeah, he was maybe, <laughs> but he yeah. was he was huge. He was the quietest dude you'll ever meet. Like they talk about quiet, like he wouldn't answer a question. Like it took you three <laughs> times and then you get one word out of him. Like he wouldn't say anything. Super nice guy, though. Actually, 
one year we had to drive down. He was dating a girl in Evansville and Ben Allen was my best friend dating a girl in Evansville. You know, they just loved Evansville, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> those, we had Ev- to, those Evansville girls. We had to drive a Mustang with myself, Ben Allen and Mike White as three of the passengers, a two door Mustang. We made it. <laughs> I don't know how you guys even fit was, in the car. Was it a convertible at least to, no. to squeeze Ben in there? No, <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know how to pull it off. We did. <laughs> so that year, some big wins. You beat Michigan State. You beat number two Wisconsin again. Another win against Wisconsin. You you finished the season better than anybody thought you would. Ten and six in the Big Ten. Twenty and nine overall. And you earn an NCAA tournament uh, bid. And you get to go out west again, this time to Sacramento. You're really hitting the shitholes of the West Coast. Not that Salt Lake City is a shithole, but Sacramento is a shithole. Excremento. Excremento. So you go to Sacramento and you win another game. Now this time, do you get to suit up for this win? Yeah. Yeah. All the way, yeah. Revenge game. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's right. So you win that game, which sets up an unbelievable matchup of two storied teams, UCLA versus Indiana. No one gives us a chance in hell to win that game. I've got a very long story about that game that involves a meth head who drove me to the airport and my friend and shaving an IU in the back of my head. I think you talked to, did you talk to Lance about this? I think I listened yes. to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I told Lance about that story. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it might've been DJ. I think you might've given DJ the entire rundown. I think I gave it both. I love <laughs> telling the story, but uh, it is the singular ugliest game in the history of college basketball. Do you know what the score was at halftime of that game? It was bad. There's what 30 combined points or something. <laughs> what, what, if you had to guess what the score was at halftime of that game, what would your guess be? uh they probably i'm gonna say they had 25 and we had 15 it was 20 to 13 (laughs) i mean that is grade school basketball (laughs) but it was you guys were beating the hell out of each other it was unbelievable dj white was a man on the boards but it was nobody could get a bucket in that game yeah ben Allen's defense was something else yes. the way they attacked our ball screens they had like six ten guys with huge wingspans and they could cover ball screens like no other and they covered the entire court they were and then that's what we were obviously based on as well so I yeah could, and and ben howland and i hated watching it because he basically would dare the referees that it's all his entire defense is based on one thing that ball screen that's set at the top of the key hedge the big man right? Come out hard hedge, which Archie uses a lot, but not just hedge, hit the motherfucker, like hit the guy, hit the guy, hit the guard and make the referees call it every time. And the refs won't call it every time because there will be no basketball game if you call it every time. And he, he won games that way. And it takes you totally out of your offense and it makes for an ugly basketball game. But we had a chance to win that game at the end of, of that game. What do you remember about the end of that basketball game? Oh, well, I remember us going on a run and I think finally taking the lead. I think Earl Calway kind of turned it on. Yes. Um, I'm, he might get mad for this, but I also remember Russell Westbrook dunking on Rod. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the first half, though. Uh, 
but yeah, that was pretty nasty. He kind of yeah. waited for him and, and got him pretty good. It's uh, happened so. to the very best players in the world. There's no shame in that. Yeah. Rod Wilmot's uh, a great guy, right? We loved Rod. Hot Rod. He's something else. He's he's a different breed. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Was he was he seemed like a guy who was super intense? Oh yeah. He like hyperactive. Like he just always had energy. Like he could practice for four hours and then he'll dance in the locker room for 30 minutes, like nonstop. And he's always talking and never stops. He had a lot <laughs> you, you were talking about um, observing Ben Howland's defense. You, you had great seats for that. You not only had uh, the experience of four, say five head coaches of your own, but you had incredible seats with uh, some of these great coaches in the ACC, along with the Big Ten, of course, the tournament games. And you'd mentioned you got into coaching after IU. Was it something while you were like, hey, I, I have a very unique position here where I'm going to get to see some of the best college basketball um, teams in the country playing? Were you constantly just sort of taking notes, not only for how you could get into the game and play better, but that you, you thought then maybe coaching was something you'd want to get into? Yeah, I mean, just obviously like most people, I was just around sports, you know, my entire life. And that's what I just knew. Um, and then obviously being at IU with all the coaches, you know, I got to learn a lot of different systems, how people like to go about things, how to deal with players. Um, so, yeah, I try to, you know, keep notes on a lot of that stuff um, to use, you know, later on for sure. So the UCLA game, we end Sorry. up losing. No, that's okay. No, you, I was just thinking I wish I could sit with you like during the NBA playoffs and just make you talk out loud what you're thinking the whole time. Just to, just to have like a full game of like what's going on in your head because I'm sure it's so much more interesting and insightful and accurate than what goes through my head, which is mostly like there's the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. College games, that's my specialty. I love the college game. Yeah. High school Great. needs a shot clock, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of things on it. NBA, NBA guys are just so good. It's like almost too hard for me to like get. I just really love the game of college basketball. Yeah, it's pure. I, it, it is still it is still such a pure sport. So, do you remember at the end of that UCLA game when we had a chance with the ball inbounds? Do you remember Ben Howland basically guarding Lance Stemmler? So I, yes, I vaguely remember it happened, but I remember talking about it and different things or seeing it on the replay or something, but yeah, he was on the court and I don't, whether or not it cost us or not, I feel like they should have did. It did. Yeah. We'll say Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I believe because it's never that we lose. It's, it's always somebody else's fault. And if Um, if it's a rest, you know, right. Exactly. You other coach finally. (laughs) Um, I do want to kind of back up a little bit because there's another big, there's two big storylines that are happening that year besides the team and playing really well. The first one started before the year. Uh, They both started actually before the year. Eric Gordon. So Eric Gordon comes to Hoosier hysteria before that year starts and switches his commitment from Illinois to Indiana. And it just sets the world of Indiana basketball ablaze. Do you remember Hoosier hysteria that year? Do you remember the Gordon hype and, and all that? And what do you remember from it? Yeah, I definitely remember it. I remember them chanting his name. And obviously it was at a time until he signed, we weren't allowed to talk about it. Right. And I think that's still the rule now. 
Um, but so they just kept, you know, telling us like, you can't say anything about it. You know, he's just another person. You can't talk about it, but yes, I do remember it. I didn't know how good he was. Um, you know, I wasn't from Indianapolis. Obviously I knew he was a top player, um, in the rankings. Um, but it was, it definitely did, like you said, kind of set the, set the tone for the school, I guess, you know, for the basketball program moving forward. It definitely did until, and look, my memory of this may be a little off, but this is what I remember. I remember Hoosier hysteria. I remember them chanting his name. I watched the video of it. And it was like, oh my God, we're going to be back. Kelvin's going to get us back. We're going to be winning national championships. This is going to be unbelievable. And then I remember again, this is my memory. The next day, a press release went out from Indiana that Kelvin Sampson had made improper phone calls that those two things were happening like simultaneously. And there was this cloud hanging over the program that some, there could be some impending doom. Do you remember any of that for that, for that year, that Kelvin first year? Uh, I remember them talking about it, but obviously what we're being told is, you know, it's going to be a minor violation. It's nothing. We're going to be able to play in the tournament. Everything's going to be fine. You know, that's what they're telling us. And, so that's, you know, what we're believing. Right. Well, you said you didn't know how good Eric Gordon was. How many practices did it take for you to be like, okay, he's really good. He's like, he's going to make over a hundred million dollars. Good. I didn't know that much money, but I knew he was good. He, those guys just have another level that other people don't have. Like he, his going 80% is like most people going a hundred percent. And then when they really want to turn it on, they just have another gear where they're just, you know, that's why they're making all the money. And that's why they're the best of the best. And so you could definitely see that from him. Um, but, you know, he went through some injuries and different things like that when we were there. But the explosion and being able to create plays obviously was a, a huge thing. Basically from day one, like a guy like that, he doesn't, his talent is apparent readily. Yeah. And like, as you guys know, Eric, he's just on attack mode all the time. I mean, he still does it with the Rockets. Whenever he starts attacking, he's, he's downhill. He's using his frame. He's getting fouled. I mean, that's how he got most of his points his freshman year. He was so aggressive and got guys on his shoulder and just got to the free throw line. So yeah, you can notice it from day one for sure. It's, it's funny because there's some parallels between the type of recruit, not the player, because they're very different players, but the type of recruit that Eric Gordon was and that Romeo was for, for Archie. Both guards, both on attack mode. Eric Gordon was the better player, truthfully. I mean, Gordon could shoot lights out from anywhere. Romeo was not a good three-point shooter. But both were hampered by a bad, like either a broken wrist or a ligament thing. The whole year, Romeo was, and so was Gordon, which I think prevented him from finishing a lot and and made it a necessity for him to get fouled and shoot those free throws. Um, But the other interesting thing that's happening on that team is this is a totally different team than the team that you played on last year, the year before, and definitely the Davis teams. Kelvin brings in a bunch of guys, just to name them, Eli Holman, Jordan Crawford, Jamarcus Ellis, DeAndre Thomas, and Brandon McGee are the newcomers that are joining already some newcomers that he brought in in Armand Bassett and, and Earl Calloway and, you know, some the Juco players, Stemler and Mike White. <laughs> How do I ask this delicately? Um, when did you know 
or did you ever know, something just wasn't right with the makeup of the team? Um, you know, Coach Sampson did a good job of keeping everybody together. It was just like any other program. You have your ups and your downs, guys that don't want to be at that practice at that time of day or or do things like that. But overall, with Sampson being there, he was able to hold it together. And, um, and so, and, and he did. I mean, the, the record, you guys were unbelievable. I mean, yeah. you were started the year, what, 17 and one, something like that, 24 and two or four, 13 yeah. and two in conference. Yeah, and that's the thing. We're winning games, and you talked about the guys we brought in. I mean, they're saying we got the Juco player of the year. Well, we already have Eric, we already have DJ. You know, we got some guys. We're thinking big thing, like, all right, we're going to win. Like, this is our year. Like, there was a lot of excitement. The year before was probably more fun for me, even though I didn't play. Um, we just accomplished a lot as a team. Um, but that year we had the talent and, you know, that was our, our thing was winning. But, but Kyle, the weird thing is, I mean, this is the most talented team you have been on since being in Indiana. I mean, you have talent everywhere. DJ White, Eric Gordon, Jamarcus Ellis. I mean, lots of talent. But you're playing a lot this year. Like you go from playing, you played four minutes total your freshman year, 10 minutes total your sophomore year. You are now playing about 11 minutes a game for this super talented team. When did you know that that would be a role for you? Like, did you know going into that year or did it evolve? And what was that mindset like for you? I did not know. Actually, that was the year I got my scholarship in the summer. Yeah. Sampson just called me one day out of the blue and gave me the scholarship. Uh, His son, Kellen, was kind of the reason for that because he wasn't officially hired yet, so he could actually sit in our open gyms. So I played really well in, in the open gyms. I don't know. I Just the free-flowing, I don't know. I just My body broke down throughout seasons. I actually got worse during seasons. I just break down. Just wasn't built for it, I guess. Um, but I did really well in, in the summer stuff, and that's why I got the scholarship, because they had one open. You know, they couldn't find any other idiot. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Can, no. You, describe, can you describe that moment? how they presented it to you, told you what was going on and what it meant to you? He, he just called me out of the blue. I think he was in his car, like on his way home, Coach Sampson was. And I, I don't remember where I was at the time. It was probably shortly after an open gym or something. It was in the summer. Um, and I was just like, I mean, I was just shocked. I didn't really know what to say or do. I didn't know if it was actually real. <laughs> you know, one of those things. I just remember calling my mom and then my dad afterwards and, they were obviously more excited than me. Probably. Yeah, they just yeah. saved themselves a few grand a year. <laughs> you shouldn't have yeah. told them and just pocketed the cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, should have. <laughs> how, what did your parents say to you? How proud were they of you at that moment? I think they were either crying or saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, one of those things. So it was, uh, it was exciting for sure. But like I said, I didn't even know what that even meant. I was just... I don't know. Looking back on it now, it's obviously huge. Because, Kyle, the truth is 13, well, 11 to 13 kids a year get scholarships to go play basketball at top end Division I programs. Mm -hmm. Far fewer walk on and earn a scholarship. I mean, I don't the years I've been following Indiana basketball, it's probably happened less than five times, you know, fewer than five times. That is just a remarkable accomplishment. Did you let yourself in those moments kind of 
revel in what you accomplished there or did it just is it like oh shit well now more is going to be expected of me yeah yeah for sure that uh the, the second part <laughs> I had to bring more um keep doing what i'm doing i guess you know that's why i got it um i still didn't think i was going to play though i mean i knew there were two three power forwards ahead of me um i was ecstatic with the scholarship but i was just there to help the team win and that's what I kind of did that first year. You know, I was getting more confidence in myself, getting in better shape, um, you know, getting some strength and things like that. And I still had that feel and touch for the game um, around the basket. So that's where I kind of had my strengths. And like I said, I was built for – I could play post-defense, not perimeter defense, post-defense and rebound. And that's what Coach Samson was looking for. Um, and then going back to when I started playing, I think we lost two games in a row that year in the Big Ten season. I want to um, say. Nope. Or we lost maybe won a close game and lost well, a close game in well, February or something. You let's see. You you didn't lose two conference games in a row unless you count losing to Minnesota in the Big Ten tournament. No. Okay. Well, I my first game I played was Northwestern in February, maybe if you're looking at it. Yeah, and you'd lost to Connecticut and Wisconsin right before that. That was okay, the two. So we, okay, so we did lose two games, just not conference. Yeah. So we lost those two. And he told me the night before that he was going to start me. So like, it wasn't even during practice or anything like, and I had, like I said, I hadn't played at all um, except end of games. And he just said, I want to make a change. I'm going to start you tomorrow against Northwestern. And then I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do. You know, same thing I played <laughs> that night and call my family. I'm like, yeah, you might actually want to watch this game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they drove up to every game. I'm like, get here on time. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you on traffic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did the walkthrough the next morning and, and started that game. And I guess I did okay enough that started playing a little bit more for sure. So, well, and then the next game, I, I'm not sure if you started this one, but this was the game at Illinois, double I, I, overtime. I, 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 What's Wait, that? I'm sorry, what's that? I said I came off the bench that game, okay. but yes, I remember it. Have you ever been in a more hostile environment than the – it's not really an assembly hall. They call themselves that. It's the other assembly hall. It's a um, shithole. It's, it's a ugly. total shithole, but they were obviously furious that we had rightfully reclaimed Eric Gordon to be an Indiana Hoosier. What was that like? Were you ever afraid for your own personal safety? I remember we took our own security guards for Coach Sampson. Um, wow. And I think think one of them were with Eric Gordon's family when they came, uh, mm. when they got there and made sure they were okay. But there were fans throwing stuff at our family section throughout the game, obviously directed at his family. And they came in in these awesome black Indiana jerseys, number 23. They, I don't know where they got them from, his mom and dad, but they were nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then the handshake with I don't know Davis Demetrius McKamey, wasn't it? McKamey, maybe. I think yeah, so, maybe. And the shoulders of them, and Eric's like, "What's going on?" And the refs are just like, "Whatever." It's one of those games, but yeah, I think we started out awful and came back and and uh, took it to overtime and won. And Eric even got a banked in three late in the game that helped us. That game, I think I again I could be conflating, but to share a personal story that game cost me a friendship <laughs> that, 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 that is, that was lost forever. So Ward, you were kind of part of this for a little while. 
I would have people come over to my place to watch games. But since we're on the West Coast, we would all, this was like when TiVo first started. Right. People were just starting to use it. So we would record it and time shift and watch it. But there was a rule. There was a rule. (laughs) You could not know what happened in the game. If you, if you got ruined, that's fine. There was one rule. You called the house, by the way, house phones back then, and we had an answering machine, and you simply had to say, it's blank, I've been compromised. That's it. That was the rule, okay? Simple enough. Because that way, we don't know either way. They're, They're not tipping anything. I had a friend who was part of our group that watched games with us. He called up, and he goes, hey, guys. I'm not going to come over. I, I I saw what happened. Like he starts coloring all this stuff about the game. Actually, it was it couldn't have been that game because no, because he would have been real yeah. happy on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. But it was another game. Just to finish the story, that we ended up losing, and we all knew we lost. I have never talked to him since. <laughs> that okay. is a that gives you a little insight onto how screwed up I am. <laughs> And also how much I didn't really like him to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't out. <laughs> it wasn't out. Anyway, so that game, I mean, you pull it out in overtime, right? That that game. Double overtime. What was it double? I uh, mean, insane, insane game. But we've got a chance to win the Big Ten, and it feels like we're going to compete for a national championship. We're ranked, I think we get up to eighth in the country that year. Um. This must be, at least while you're going through it and winning those games, this must be, Cal, for you, like, this is what Indiana's supposed to be, right? For sure. I mean, being ranked that high, winning games on the road against other top teams, uh, and then I started playing around that time frame as well, and just, it it was very special. And then the bottom falls out. The story breaks that Kelvin did a lot more uh, phone calls, but also there's a lot of other stories percolating. You know, our good friend Jeff Rabjohns, who is the senior writer for Pigs, has always said that Kelvin, you know, the phone calls to Kelvin is like tax evasion to Al Capone. That's what they used to fire him, but it's not the reason they went after. So there's other stories about stuff happening on the team and elements that are coming into the locker room that are not good. So I'm just going to ask, and you can tell us to go screw ourselves or you don't want to answer. We had heard there was like 20 F's on the team, like just flat out F's from people on the team. Was that your understanding? Uh, Yeah, it it got to that point. And it might've been not during the season, but after Sampson got fired and okay. Maybe when the season ended, we probably had that many. Yes, I would believe that. Failed drug tests. Plenty of failed drug tests happening. And maybe Samson give a slap on the wrist, but some of them he's looking the other way. Uh, I think there were failed drug tests. I don't know if Samson looked the other way. Okay. Because there were some suspensions. Yeah, I think some guys got suspended for it. The other thing we had heard is that it just got so bad. And it was so caustic. And clearly it got worse after Samson. Like you said, he was the guy that was like keeping it together. But that Eric Gordon like moved off campus and was living with like a family friend or something and yeah. not with the team anymore. 
Yeah, he he spent a lot of time before that even happened. I think it was one of our managers that he maybe he played AAU with, um, okay. lived in Bloomington, and yeah, he spent a lot of time there. Um, so, and I I believe he stayed there more often than not, but he had a dorm anyways. So, so most of the stuff happened off campus. Could I guess the bigger question is: Did you feel? that literally Samson was just the one holding together a crazy environment behind the scenes. Did you, could you feel that? Yeah, they were holding it together. And the other thing, when he did get fired, they were just, they were upset. They were upset with Coach Dockish taking over, upset with their voice not being heard. We were actually involved with with the, not hiring, but, meeting with the athletic director saying who we thought should take over for him, different things like that. And everything we kind of proposed to him and thought believed in, you know, like you said, we're still top probably 15 at this time. They went the totally different direction from us. What direction, what direction did you want to go in or the team as a whole? Uh, Ray McCallum, everyone wanted him to take over. He was just, uh, he's a really good guy, like a great guy. Incredible. Um, and we just thought things would stay pretty consistent with him, and a lot of the players respected him. Um, so we really just thought he was going to be the one uh, that took over for us. Dan Dockich came back to Indiana right before that year started as director of basketball operations or something, I believe. is the Yeah, that was the other weird part about it because he took over, and it was just kind of unexpected, I guess. We just assumed one of the assistants would kind of take the lead. So did you guys have any relationship with Dan Dockich throughout that year up until that point? Or was he, because director of basketball operations isn't allowed to coach and not allowed to be like on the court working with you. So was he just kind of a guy in the office that you didn't really have a relationship with? No, he was involved early on in the conditioning in the fall. Um, very vocal on that. And then he actually, I think he became the assistant when coach Cinderoff left, right? A little right. bit before that. So yes. then he was involved in the practices from then on. Um, okay. So we had a, had a taste of him and different things like that. And what was that taste like? <laughs> uh, well, from what I guess we've been told, it would be like wanted to coach a lot like Coach Knight coached back in the day. So, and that was not going over well with the guys. Yeah, it's just not what they were looking for at that point of the season. Um and he, he did say that things were going to be as, same, as consistent as possible. He wanted to keep things the same. And then all of a sudden we were running some different offensive stuff. And doing some <laughs> yeah, you were running the motion offense, right? I mean, that's what he tried to put in. I think we worked on it, yeah, for a little bit. I don't think it went very well. Um, but yeah, I, he, was, like- he was in a hard situation as well. It was a hard situation for everybody. Totally. Well, and I wanted to get a little bit more of your thoughts personally and and maybe what else you gathered from the team, because clearly everybody had bought into Coach Sampson. And it sounds like even from the first time you all met with him, he he listened to you, he connected with you, and he got you all rowing in the same direction, no matter how different all these different players and their backgrounds were. I mean, you were a team that was a real threat to win the big 10 and possibly make a run to the final four. What, what kind of emotions or thoughts are you going through when he did do enough to get himself fired with cause? 
So is it like you totally feel bad for him and you're just upset he's gone and feels like he got a raw deal? Are you upset with him for the things he did do that caused him to get fired? How, how do you make sense of that? Uh, our big thing was we were just upset it had to happen during the year. We were like, why can't they wait a month, a month and a half if we were going on a run? Like, why can't they wait? They put that two-week thing in. And I think that's when I actually started playing whenever they put that 10 days or whatever, they were going to make a decision. I think he kind of knew, and that's why he played me. He's like, I have nothing to lose. I mean, we just lost two games. He's like, I have nothing to lose. Let's try something different. Um, I truly believe that. Uh, but that was our mindset with it was just like, why can't you wait? And obviously there's legal stuff. And obviously being 21 years old at the time, that's we're not thinking about that. We're just like, give us six more weeks. Let's see how far we can take this thing. But it sounds like a lot more resentment towards the athletic department rather than coach. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, because we wanted we wanted it to happen at the end of the season if it had to happen. When it did happen, we wanted, you know, stuff to go in place for us and they went in another direction. Um, so, yeah, there were everyone was a little upset with that. And I think that's kind of tore things apart as well. And, and the wheels came off. I mean, the yeah. team falls apart at the end of that year. What was a promising season gets flushed down the toilet. We lose. Uh, I mean, first of all, we barely beat Northwestern, which was crazy. And that was like, I think Coach Dockich's only win, really, taking over the program. Um, yeah, that was our first one. That, yeah. I'm sure he was the Northwestern practice right after he got fired. The day, well, be- the day before we go to Northwestern. I think Samson got fired like after a game. We just beat Michigan State or yes. something, or Purdue. Purdue, Purdue yeah, well, Purdue. both. But Purdue was the the last one. Yeah, he gets fired after that, and then the next. I think they gave us a day off just because of everything. And then we're about to go to Northwestern, and I think six players show up for practice. Right. Mm. Were you one of the six? I was one of the six. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to start again. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take it any way you get it. Maybe five minutes if I don't get in foul trouble. Um, we had a couple <laughs> managers that thought they were going to put it on for the first time because that's what we were going to have to do. Um, wow. But then everybody showed up for the flight and and we figured it out. <laughs> yeah, barely. You beat yeah. Northwestern. You lose heartbreakers. The the Minnesota game in the Big Ten tournament, one of the most heartbreaking losses. I mean, have you ever been involved in a loss that was that heartbreaking? No. we. Uh, they actually came out on fire. I actually – started that game um which and they just came out on fire like they just gave to us and we fought and fought and got back in it and then the the ending of that that was crazy like dj got fouled on a couple things and hit some free throws and then they threw up that and yeah it was just awful what happened you know one of those things and then you go to the ncaa tournament where you play arkansas and the truth is they just beat the hell out of us. I mean, they just, they were physical. They were big. They were together. We weren't. We got to ask you about halftime. So we asked DJ about it. And I, DJ, I listened to it. All right. So he was pretty honest with us about it. But from your perspective, you got to tell us what the hell happened at halftime. I mean, they got into it. Uh, like physically got into it? No, like chest bumping into it. And how does that, that start? Is Dockage just go after DJ saying he's not playing well? So, Dockage was trying to challenge DJ to play better. Um, and he did it in probably a coach night manner and challenged him. And I truly believe that 
Coach Dockage thinks it worked because DJ came out really pissed off and fired up and actually played really well in the second half. Um, but every I remember him, every shot he made, he would run down the court and just stare at Coach Dockage on the floor. <laughs> did, did they have to be separated by the team? Uh, probably. Or team or coaches or whatever. I don't think anybody was going to hit anybody. Right. It wasn't one of those, but they were in each other's face bumping. And I think DJ said something like that as well. Yeah, they he were, did. They were arguing face to face. Do you remember just being like, what the hell is going on here? I just walked onto this team a couple years ago. I didn't know that this is going to be, I didn't know my coach and best player were going to fight each other. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I mean, DJ is like the nicest guy ever. So I didn't think anything would come of it. Uh, so, but yeah, it was, it was heated. Yeah. So we lose that game season ends and it is now time for your, and I will say fifth coach in your time there, because I am counting coach Rupp, but for all intents and purposes, your fourth head coach, what do you remember about this coach search? Oh, same thing. Just had no idea what was going to happen. You heard rumors. Um, I don't remember how I found out this time though. I really don't. Well, you went through so many. I can't understand. <laughs> Was there anybody you were you were hoping for? Like a couple guys on the team were like, oh, you know, it'd be cool if we got this guy or we heard we might get this guy. Uh, I think Mark Few's name was thrown around a little bit. Yeah. Just we actually we played Gonzaga twice. My first two years with uh, or two of my first three years. And actually, before we played that UCLA game after we beat Gonzaga, um, he actually came onto our bus and they had already played UCLA early in the year, like non-conference or whatever. And he just actually gave us like a pep talk and said, you know, we can compete with these guys. We can beat them. Like, this is what they're going to be good at. You know, and it was really short, but I guess him and coach Sampson were friends. Um, so he just seemed like a really good guy. And obviously That's they awesome. went a lot and different things like that. So that name was thrown around. I was like, you know, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all would have been. And yeah. then, and then, and then here comes tanned, bronzed, and ready to go, Tom Creed. Crazy Come, McCrazy Pants. Yes, Crazy McCrazy Pants coming tanned from Wisconsin. Uh, what, uh, did you know anything about Tom Creed when they hired him? I didn't know anything about him. Obviously, I heard about their, knew about their run, what, in 2003? Yeah. Wayne Wade, yeah. yep. I guess I would have been a junior in high school. So I remember that part of it um, and then making that run. But that's about all I knew about him. And tell us the first time you met him. So we had a meet, another team meeting. And this was before everybody officially announced they were transferring. Right. There might have been a guy or two to not show up just because they already knew they didn't, were done or didn't want to deal with it. But I don't know, very powerful speech, very loud. <laughs> Wanted to get everyone's attention. <laughs> I just remember him keep looking at maybe Jordan Crawford or somebody and it was just like, look at me, look at me, eyes up here, look at me, look at me, just trying to like get him engaged in different things like that. But did um, you, did you know after that meeting or five minutes into that meeting or five seconds into that meeting that this person in front of you was the craziest human you had ever met in your life? No, I did not know that. I don't know. <laughs> like, Coach Sampson that first year had, you know, I mean, we were doing 5.30 a.m. workouts, doing different things. We heard stories about Kareen just calling practices, you know, in the middle of the night or letting you know at 11 o'clock you have a 7 a.m., something like that. Luckily, we didn't have any of that my first year. Mm. Uh, 
I think some of that was because they were more focused on recruiting than the team. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Should have been. Um, so I think we got away with some of that, but we still had crazy practices. <laughs> it sounds like though, because, and this is what I did want to, to get into illustrating the differences between these, these coaches of that first meeting with Samson compared to the first meeting with Crean, even the way you described it, it sounds like Kelvin Sampson was really about wanting to hear from the players rather than just talk at the players. Is that, is that something you found to be the case with, with both coaches moving forward where one was maybe more open and receptive to what the team was, was tapped into. And the other one was just completely in his own head and just making you do what he wanted you to do. Uh, yeah, I'd say a little bit, um, you know, every player might say something different or have a different experience, but from my experience, that's what I remember, you know, I'm an old guy now that's been 15 years, 15 yeah. years something like that. But from, from what I remember, yeah, it was uh, definitely like that, at least in the first meeting. I, I imagine you in that Tom Crean meeting, I don't know if you guys have seen the meme with James Franco from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, where he's just looking over. He's got the noose around his neck and he's looking at somebody. And this is the second time Franco's being hanged in this in this anthology. And he just goes, first time, huh? And like how many other players on that team? It was their first coaching change they'd gone through. And it was your fourth. I mean, you had to think you were now living in a farce at this point. Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess I was just like immune to it. I was just like, whatever, what are we going to, what are you going to put me through now? Like, right. Well, <laughs> well, something new is coming. Uh, and the players start dropping like flies. Eric Gordon announces he's going to the NBA. Uh, Jordan Crawford is transferring. Armand Bassett is transferring. Eli Holman throws a plant or something like this, right? He goes crazy. What? What do you, do you remember that story? Yeah, so I wasn't there, but I remember it. I guess in the old coach's office, they just had like I think it was like a shoe, like a ceramic shoe, but it was actually a uh, plant. Okay, like a pot. Yeah, what, a pot. Uh, I, the story is, I guess he just got angry at something in there and threw it against the wall, and it shattered. But I don't know what he got angry about. By the way. That guy ended up having a great college career. He was a oh, player. Yeah. Like he went to Detroit and played for McCallum, right? In yeah. Detroit and was like a stud. Like yeah. a- he was six nine, but his wingspan was probably like seven three. Wow. Like he had incredibly long arms. And we knew he could get to that point. Um, but you know, he, it was just gonna take him a little bit of time. Um, but yeah. So for I think the fourth time in your career you're not only playing with a new coach but you're also playing with a brand new team I want to read the names of the people on this team because I think many Indiana fans will not even know that some of these guys played on the team uh well I guess you know what might be more fun do you remember all the guys that were on that team I went at all of them. I'll try. You, go ahead. You start naming and I'll give you, we'll do a little game game show here. We'll give you a ding for each correct one and a buzzer for each incorrect one. Okay. Go for it. Well, Brett Finkelmeyer. Ding. ding. He he was the one that stuck around with me. Tijon. Ding. He was my roommate. Jeremiah. Oh, we got, we, by the way, we got to get yeah, into that. We'll circle back to that one. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah Rivers, but he didn't play that year because he transferred. Ding. Ding. Uh, Devin Dumas, 
Ding. Ding. Daniel Moore. Ding. Tom Pritchard. Ding. Broderick Lewis. Ding. Ding. Uh, Nick Williams. Ding. By the way, real quick, during this time of your teams, because there wasn't a lot to root for in that year, we thought it would be fun to come up with nicknames for everyone on the team. And I wanted all the nicknames to be based on someone's (laughs) name. Like it had to be a play on their name. And uh, we were doing this and Ward's wife, we got to Nick Williams and Ward's wife just goes, he will be called oatmeal. (laughs) And so that became Nick Williams name. I don't know why that was his nickname. Oatmeal. All right. Nick Williams, oatmeal. You got him. (laughs) I'm running out. Uh, Man, I should know some of this. You might have to help you me. me to, all right, ready? Corey Barnett. Or, okay, Corey. Okay. Okay. Steven uh, Gambles. Are the baseball guys on there? Are they listed? Yeah, they're coming. Kip Schultz. I know Kip because Kip's from Evansville. So. Yeah. Uh, Verdell. 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 Malik Story. Malik. Never-ending story. I get him out of my head, and that's why I couldn't think of anybody else. <laughs> Matt Roth. <laughs> Matt Roth. I should have known that. Uh, Evan White. Evan White. <laughs> by the way for those just listening kyle just threw his hands up like what the hell like that's that that expression you just gave is you had no idea that evan white was on that basketball team (laughs) all right so look this is the most ragtag bunch of people put together for a high-end division one college basketball team and you are a returning player and a senior, and a lot is expected of you. I mean, you are no longer an 11-minute-a-game role player. You are now a pillar of this team. When did you know we're going to get the shit kicked out of us routinely this season? Oh, man. It's hard to tell early on because in practice – like you look good, you know. Your starters <laughs> go up against the next five or whatever, and the next five is not very good either. Yeah, so you look good. They you actually- haven't played against five people this bad in practice since probably middle school. Yeah, <laughs> they did a good job of keeping us engaged and letting us know we had a chance. Like we had a little bit of belief. I mean, a lot of some of those games, obviously, after eight minutes, they were blowouts, and you're just trying to get through. But um, they did a good job with that. Um, and they do get credit for that. But yeah, it was, and we started out, we won, I think, our first two games. Yeah. Four out of your first six. Were Four you, first were you kind six. of thinking, hey, maybe this won't be so bad? Yeah. So, I mean, you're not really thinking about the Big Ten right there. You're just trying to get through those non conference and you're like, all right, it's almost the same as any other year. We went to four out of six instead of five out of six, you know, or whatever. But um, then you lose. 22 out of 24 yeah how how do you get out of bed in the morning in in the middle of a a stretch like that as a as a senior this is it this is your last rodeo and of course everybody wants to go out on top but this is the opposite of that was it it, was it hard for you to drag yourself into practice no it wasn't i mean it was not because of the losing. I guess the hard part was what the heck's coming in practice because they were a little wild. 
Because um, cr- now you realize, you fully realize he's a crazy man, right? At this yeah. point? Yeah, there were some crazy moments. <laughs> did he For example? Get, yeah, did he ever get in your face? Like, to try to, like, come after the senior a little bit? Uh, yeah, I remember Daniel Moore got in trouble off campus one time. I'm sorry, Daniel, if you're listening. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, and I got yelled out for it <laughs> while I was hurt. Uh, oh, I, man. I actually had to have a small like scope surgery right before the season. I actually got myself in the best shape of my life all summer. And then right before the season started, I had to have a, a small little surgery, oh. but he got in trouble before and I'm the one that got in trouble for it <laughs> and yelled at for it and things like that. Uh, so that was one, I think I told you guys this maybe in the winter where he just went by one by one yes. and after a game. And then all of a sudden the lamp was flying across the room <laughs> in front of my face. Um, but yeah, he got, he got, he'll get in your face for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to say this. Look, I think Tom Crean is an absolute lunatic. I think he is absolutely out of his gourd and not in a good way. I, I, I thought that while he was our coach, I thought that while things were good and I thought him while things were bad, he's a crazy man. I did love him at the beginning. I did love him those first that first two years I gave him the the long leash on because I think I, we all loved him till Syracuse. No, no, that's not true, Ward. We didn't love him in Las Vegas that third year. Oh, that's true. That's a very good point. No. Yeah, that was depressing. So, but I want to say this to give him his due. You guys were outmanned at virtually every position in every game that you played in conference. You guys played so damn hard. Like Part of the reason people have been so frustrated by Archie's teams the last three years is it hasn't felt like the passion for playing at Indiana is there the way that it was for a team that had no business being on the court with a bunch of baseball guys and walk-ons, you know. You guys busted your ass, and you lost 22 out of 24 games. It didn't matter. You were diving on the floor. Verdell Jones was outweighed by 50 pounds, and he was busting his butt. Daniel Moore was out there playing. Like, you guys all busted your butt. And and you guys deserve the primary credit for that. You really do, and you don't get enough of it. And Tom Crean deserves a lot of that credit, too, because whatever he did, he did help get you to the point where you could perform that way. So I do want to just give him his due and ask you, did you feel like that you guys were playing your asses off so hard in the midst of all that losing? Uh, Yeah, we definitely were. I mean, that was our only chance to have a chance, I guess. Um, So like I said, practices were a little bit crazy and intense and a lot of physical stuff happened. So I guess the games maybe. I wouldn't say we're easier because, you know, going up against better players, but you were just, your mindset was that's how you, you know, you were going to play. But you was know what, there... Kyle, we've heard that real quick, Ward. We've heard that from Bob Knight players. They yeah. told us the games were the break. Like yeah. the practices were the things they were scared of. And that, those were the hard things. But the games, it's why many of them credit themselves for being good in games because they were like the practices were harder. The games, yeah. everything felt a little easier. Oh, yeah, the games were easier for sure. I mean, like I said, it was it, it was intense. We, you yeah. know, a lot of not just running, but physical play, um, crazy blockout drills, you know, a lot of different things like that. So, uh, yeah, those guys did play hard. I mean, it was it was fun yeah. in that aspect. And I mean, it was everyone trying their hardest. And then obviously 
the games weren't easier because there were better players on the other side, but they were right. easier from not a three hour practice of just going at it for that oh, time. Oh, 40 minutes with timeouts. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering though, with you, it is your last hurrah and you certainly grew up an Indiana fan wanting to play for IU and you know this is a, a rebuild, a complete and total rebuild. And was it ever in your mind to say, you know what? I know we're we're not going to be hanging any banners this year, but I can be helping to lay a, a cornerstone, a foundation for those who are coming after me. Did did that enter your mind at all? I, I don't think it would necessarily for a lot of twenty two year olds. But was that something that helped keep you motivated? Uh, yeah, I was just still trying to just do my part, you know, do what I could to help the team. Um, if guys had questions or needed help with something, I was trying to be there as much as I could. I didn't have all the answers. I was still worried about myself. I mean, I was trying to get myself right. I knew the banners weren't coming, but I also knew that it was my last you know, chance to play at Indiana. So I just wanted to have fun with it and take advantage of it for sure. Well, you did. And you had some personal highlights that year. I mean, you're playing 24 and a half minutes a game, several games where you're playing over 30 minutes. Started like 23 games. Yeah, and I think the ones you didn't start are because you were hurt. Yeah, I, right? I started out really slow with my knee. So, yeah. Right. Uh, but you get to go to Purdue. They win, of course. But you score 10 points and pull down five boards against Purdue. That's I know winning is all that matters, but in a season where winning isn't going to be the thing, do you take some solace in the fact that, holy shit, Four years ago, five, five years ago, I came to this school thinking I would never play. I, I don't even get to dress for one of our tournament games. And now I'm going to Mackey Arena and lighten it up for double digits and five rebounds. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely was. That was one of my better games. I think Juwan Johnson was the guy guarding me most of the game, too. Nice. Yeah. He, a lot of times he'd go try to block a shot and then I'd get a rebound or something and put it back. Whatever. Made a couple moves on him. I definitely got a lot more confidence the last, I'd say, month of the season and played a lot better. Well, you see it. Your numbers go up too. You go to North, you play at Northwest or play against Northwestern. You go for 12 points, your career high and six rebounds. You also had a game that year of double digit rebounds. Like you, you finish your IU career on a personal trajectory that is honestly remarkable and surprising I mean it's it's no one I think expected that of you when you walked on to the team five years ago and you do get to walk out of Indiana with your head held high knowing that you busted your ass for five years for this program we always like to ask about senior game senior day yeah what do you remember from senior day and what was that experience like for you uh I remember we played Michigan State um who was I don't know, maybe a top 10 team. Eight. Yeah. Number eight. Eight. Um, I think they had Draymond Green was even a freshman on that team. Never so heard I, of him. Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously I knew that. And I think we lost by five. Yeah. Yep. You guys played them tight. And I think we had two threes late in the game to tie it or maybe even take the lead. Um, I think we missed one, got an offense rebound, and missed another one. So we battled with them. But I think the biggest thing that stood out was, like you said, we had lost, what, 22 out of 24? Yeah. 15,000 people show up probably. Yes. Maybe more than that. The fans loved that team. They knew you guys were doing everything you could. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me 
even through all that, they were so supportive that year. It was crazy. I mean, we went to Maui. <laughs> went to Maui, played Notre Dame first game. I think I'd be by 30 or something. Yeah, we walked brutal. back th- through the hotel. It's like an open-air hotel. I have to walk by the pool to get to our rooms, and we get a standing ovation from the fans. Mm, wow. You know, I was just like, we just lost by 30. <laughs> they just knew, like, I don't know, they were just looking towards the future and, you know, we'll support you in different things like that. So that was another thing that stood out to me that year. We cannot escape talking about your senior year without you giving us a Tijon Job story. I mean, he was your roommate, right? He was my roommate. You got to give us something about Tijon. Uh, I guess one time he was, I told him, I came out of my room and his was right across the hall. And I told him that we had to go to practice or we're going to be late. And he's in there just praying, you know, going through his whole routine. I'm like, Tijon, come on, we got to go. And I'm like interrupting him through his prayer. And I just felt so awful when I realized what was going on. <laughs> like, did he yell really? at you afterwards? He did not. Tijon, no, Tijon never yelled. <laughs> was he just he's the sweetest guy? guy? Oh, yeah, for sure. He definitely was. I love him. He actually lives up here in Carmel now. Oh, yeah. does he? Yeah, yeah, we were back for a game. I, I, I think that was last season, Eric, when we were talking with Ken Bykoff afterwards on on the mic, and Tijon came by and said a few words, and I'm like, "That's that is clearly the textbook gentle giant who just passed by." Oh, for sure, I love Tijon, <laughs> and also the greatest person to ever play the point on a one-three-one zone defense, right? Oh, for sure. He would scare everybody out there. <laughs> yeah, it was never effective, but it was really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, how often do you get a seven-footer who's jacked playing the top of a one-three-one? <laughs> I, I get the sense that Tijon Job looked like that when he was nine years old. Oh, like, probably. I mean, he just seemed like he looked like a transformer. The dude yeah. was so jacked. All right, we got to ask you our Bloomington questions because you got to spend five years in Bloomington. So oh. Ward hit him with the first one. Pizza. One slice of pizza. Where do you go? Mother Bears. Good choice. That's the answer. Uh, favorite non-pizza restaurant in Bloomington? Uh, Nick's. What do you get? What do you get at Nick's? I like their Stromboli's. Yeah, yep. like That was like a big thing down there. And that's, yeah. <laughs> do you still do it when you go down? Do you grab a Strom at Nick's? Oh, if I, yeah. Next time I go there, I mean, I would 90% get that. Percentage yeah. percentage. Nice. Yeah. Least least favorite class. Least favorite class. Uh, this would, this would be for the Tom Crean years because we know Kelvin Sampson didn't care about you guys going to class. <laughs> Accounting. Oh, Accounting. In the business school because I wasn't trying to be a business major or anything like that, but, but I needed it. So, yeah, that uh, one it might have took three tries. I don't know. We'll <laughs> did, I didn't realize that sports marketing majors required the accounting prerequisite. Yeah, we had to do accounting. I think one or two of them, and econ were tougher ones, oh. but I liked econ a little bit. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah. Did we you have few... to do finite? I did not. I don't think I had to do finite. That's good. That, uh, that bullet. Favorite bar. Um, so when I was down there, it was sports. Yeah. But then, like my senior year, I don't know. I, it was more Kilroy's, I guess. By the way, when did people start calling it K-O-K or K-on-K? What, is that what they call it now? Kirkwood or something. Yeah. 
We yeah. never called it that. Did you nope. ever call it that word? No, it was Kilroy's and it was sports. sports. That's it. Yeah. That's how it should always be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sports was the place where you go to dance. So that was the thing. Would you go yeah. to dance at sports? I mean, sometimes. Wow. <laughs> I remember so I remember one game we got back that year we were good. <laughs> so you know, you're living the high life a little bit. And we probably got back to our apartment at two and we're like, we're going to sports, even though they closed at three. <laughs> so we probably got there for two fifteen and we're there till three. <laughs> nice. And yeah. you just tore it up. Who was the guy on the team who was like the ringleader during that time of like, we're going out and we're partying. I would say there was a ringleader. Um, I mean, Jamarcus else was always down to go out. Yeah, we know that. We, yeah, we know Jamarcus <laughs> is the one who got you the good stuff. <laughs> Party supply man. Yeah. Jamarcus comes with party favors. By the way, we didn't talk about DeAndre Thomas. All right. So if here's the question. You played with some huge dudes. If you had to get in a fight, with one of these three guys, like rank them for who you would least like to get in a fight with to most. Mike White, DeAndre Thomas, Tijon Joe. Uh, DeAndre would be first. First that you would want to get in a fight with or not? Oh, not want to. Oh, not want to. <laughs> DeAndre was scary. I mean, he could just, if he wanted to, he could just like tackle you before you even fight and just smash you to the ground and then just. Yeah be done yeah <laughs> mike white would be second Tijon uh would be the i wouldn't say the easiest but of the three just because maybe you can run around and i don't know get away with something and he just seems Sick too nice moves. he seems yeah. too nice he doesn't seem exactly. like he, come after he seems too nice you know yeah. who i would not want to get in a fight with i get i get you on the deandre thomas here's the guy that i would not want to get in a fight with this may this may be a little too too sensitive devin dumas I mean, didn't Devin Dumas murder somebody? <laughs> didn't he, Kyle? Didn't he? I, uh, I, get, I think he was charged with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think he killed somebody. I think he shot somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, was he was he a good teammate? He was fine in, in uh, practice. I mean, Coach Crean was always, I'd say, a little bit nicer to him. It seemed like. Um, I think. Yeah. He yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to get shot. I mean, he still had his moments. They would get into it sometimes. Well, he like, also had that one moment, right, where he – it might have been the next year where he lost his mind in a game and, like, kicked a player or something. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that was his his next year. I think he got suspended for it, too, for several games. But uh, DeAndre Thomas, I understand. That, that dude seemed scary and, like, he wasn't having it. Like, he seemed like a scary dude. Yeah, I mean, he was like – I think when he came in, he was probably like 330 pounds or something. He's, he reminded he, me of Oliver Miller. Oh, yeah. He played the wrong sport. He could have been a heck of a football player. Yeah. By he the way. in good hands. Yeah, he had skill as a, a basketball player. For a football player, he could have made money playing football. Yeah. All right. Well, look, man, your career at Indiana, it's just a roller coaster. It is an absolute roller coaster with extreme highs and extreme lows and everything in between. It's like part Rudy, part blue chips, like and and part Blair Witch Project. (laughs) I mean, that's that's what it is. It's but Kyle, look, I have always admired 
your career at Indiana, because I just cannot imagine being an 18 year old kid and going through, it, it is enough to just be a college athlete, to be a walk-on where a lot of it is, is expected of you without the spoils, if you will, and then to still have to go through all the, t- the just incredible chaos that happened your entire time there. And yet all you did was continue to improve, keep your head down, represent the school well, represent IU well, represent the fans well. And you left a legacy at Indiana of somebody who we admire for busting your ass and maximizing every ounce of talent you had. And we, I'm being dead serious, the bar that you guys set that year under cream for how hard you played has, has been something that many teams at Indiana have not cleared. And that is a standard that we want to live up to. So even though obviously we want to win games, we also want to play hard. And you always did that and always seemed to be a guy who maximized every ounce that you had and, and seemed to be a guy who truly appreciated and respected the opportunity that you had there. And for that, thank you, because there's nothing better from a fan's perspective to know that the players are appreciating it. Oh, thank you. It means a lot. I've talked about the coaches and all that. And I guess the big thing was for me, I wasn't there to just play for a coach. I was there to play for IU. So the coaching changes, they didn't affect me as much as some people might think because I was still living my dream and doing what I wanted to do and play at IU. So. By the way, I do have to ask this. You are a graduate of Indiana, correct? Yes. Here we go. You know, that means you can vote in trustee elections. Oh, okay. Did you know that I'm running for trustee of Indiana? I saw you put something out there. When is the election? It starts June 1st. So I'm going to hit you back in June 1st. Might need you to do a little testimonial for us. Okay. We're going to rock the world. We're going to change the world. We're going to drain the swamp and change the world. Sounds good. All right. That is is unbridled enthusiasm. (laughs) I'm actually on the IUAA uh, Central Indiana chapter board. So I'm sure we'll probably hear all about it. Oh, yeah. you better hear all about it. You better use some of those connections to get us on that board, man. I'm a, we'll be picking your brain. I think we just broke several election laws, but that's okay. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Exactly. Story of my life. Kyle, thank you so much for doing this, man. I know it's late where you are. and We really appreciate the time and can't wait to see you face-to-face again, hopefully very soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Just, Just kind of a... Just a great, like, normal, grounded human being who got to live a dream, right? Well, I, I kept wanting to say, oh, this is just like if you or I got to play for IU, except that he's so much better at basketball, so he's so much bigger, he's so much more gifted, that's such a disservice to him. But you're right, his kind of persona and the way he thought about it, it was very relatable. But see, I wanted, I was thinking the same thing, Ward. Oh, it's like, it's like if we got it. But the truth is it's not, not because of the fact that he can play basketball and we cannot, but he's just so chill about it. If you or I played for Indiana University basketball, I mean, you couldn't get us to stop talking about it. Like it would be something we would brag about. I would, I won't speak for you. I would brag about it. I would tell everybody in the world. I'd be like that 40 year old wearing his high school letter jacket. Like I would be that guy. I'd be wearing candy stripes to work 
and the candy stripes. Like you couldn't get me to not tell you that I play basketball for Indiana. And he's a guy who just seems so grounded in reality that it was a dream. He got to live it. He just wanted to live every day as though like he just had to focus on that day. And he blocked out the noise. My God, if I was in that, I'd be like, what are they saying about Kelvin Sampson? Oh my God, who's this crazy tan person they're bringing in? I'd be losing my shit about it all the time. And this selflessness. Look, I'll draw on the only analogy I can. I came from the theater department at Peru High School. I got big roles in the school plays in high school. I went to Bloomington. I wanted to have big roles in the college uh, productions there. If I had gotten to IU... I know, but I'm saying if I'd gotten there and they said, you know what, here, um, maybe somewhere down the road, but right now just help rehearse the other actors. And during the actual plays, we're going to have you backstage um, helping them change their clothes. I would have been like, no way. So I appreciate going all the way back to Coach Knight's first teams, that these guys who were great players, the best players on their high school teams, who were the stars. And and it's not just about, hey, I'm the best on the court. It's like I've got hundreds or thousands of fans cheering me on. And then you realize that that doesn't enter the equation for somebody like Kyle at all. Kyle's like, no, no, it's, it's not about me at all all it's being about a part of something bigger than me and it's it's really it's so inspiring and if you think some of the really talented players would take on that mentality the sky would be the limit for the teams they're playing on i think you're absolutely right i i uh i just love hearing the stories of all the players the stars the walk-ons there is no better story in college sports than a guy who walks on and gets a scholarship offer like that is just a unique awesome story that that anyone can get behind it's a shame that kelvin like did it while he was in his car and didn't do one of those cool moments that you see videos of yeah i think that's a newer trend anyway by the way shocking that kelvin did it on the phone (laughs) i mean who are we kidding of course he did it on the phone my god what he did well how else would he do it another really relatable moment uh, and, and truly, like, I, I could draw the exact parallel is when he said he was up there for the tryout, essentially, with the team and the coaches couldn't be there. And he just took those like five footers to get started because he was shaking so bad. When we were there, I think it was after um, a game or something, and I got a chance to take a few shots down on the court. And I was like beyond the free throw line. And, and I was shaking. There was nobody around. There was no stakes. I was just taking my first shot on assembly hall court and i missed everything yeah it it should have been a layup dude when i went to the camp and i got dressed and came out onto the floor and there's like probably 15 people that are milling about and there's a rack of balls and i grabbed a ball and i was looking around and i was shaking and they've got people taking pictures of you and i and i same thing i was shaking and i'm like i can't miss my first shot I'm not going to shoot a free throw. I'm like, I am just going to walk up to the basket, hit the top of the square, you know, the corner, bank it in, lay up. But I walked up and the guy, the camera guy is like, I'm going to take a picture of your first shot. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I don't know about this. I was so nervous and I could feel it. I mean, it just took everything in me to just get the ball up. I did make the layup, mm-hmm. but I've never been more nervous to shoot a shot. It, it, it's 
it's weird. It, your central nervous system is like, this is the court you've been watching basketball on since you were shitting your diapers. Yeah, there is a physiological response, no doubt about it. Um, and it's cool to hear from a guy who made it to the ultimate level and got the scholarship offer. And that is an amazing thing. And I just am putting myself, trying to put myself in the position of calling my parents to tell them that. Oh. And I just can't imagine how proud his parents must have been. He said they were crying. And I mean, just an amazing thing. Kyle is just kind of a salt of the earth, good dude. You know, he's totally not flashy, unassuming. Unassuming. He's not flashy. He's not going to brag. You could tell he was uncomfortable with some of the things that I wanted him to talk about. You know, he's just a good dude. You know, he's a good dude. He keeps his head down and works hard. And I, I just hope nothing but success for him and his family. Yeah. If you need to buy a house in the Indianapolis area, Give the brother a call. Call Tabor. Um, well, thanks, man. I'm uh, I'm I'm really glad we got to go down that, as you said, tumultuous memory lane because it was uh, it was a crazy time for the Indiana basketball program. I think that might be be the only shot we have or the audience has to hear what it was like to live through all of that as a member of the team. I agree. Uh, good luck to Kyle. And as always, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but the the sometimes, sometimes why? That sounded in sync to me. We will see you. No, we won't. You'll hear from us next week. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know there's a better way to do things. Like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.